0: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that On 77 WABC.
1: Ah, you killed that song. Come in with it again. Come in with it again. who Who here. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, as I finish up the Quinella here on the weekend at WABC, the acronym standing for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. As I go into my last four-hour stretch from nine, and then a very special hour, the most requested, uh, the most intensively uh, uh, integrated hour. Of the close to 20 hours that I do on the weekends, it's our animal welfare hour. Uh, And I'll be joined by my wife, Nancy, who is the animal rescue expert. As you know, uh, we live in a home in the Upper West Side. It's a studio apartment, 328 square feet, and we house 16 rescue cats. That's a lot of lifting of a lot of litter each and every day but it also gives us insight into the animal world. And there are a whole bunch of animal-related subjects this week that are going to have an impact on most of you listening out there and are going to want your input in the 12 to 1 hour. And then I pass off the microphone to that Mama Luke, that Mangaluch, Frank Morano, on the other side of midnight, which goes from 1 in the morning to 5 for the next five days before I take over the weekends uh, the other side of midnight. But let's establish that my forte, without a doubt, is public safety. That's my sweet spot. Come February 13th, it will be the 43rd anniversary of when I started the Guardian Angels up in the Bronx as a night manager of Mickey D's. It was chaos. There was mayhem. There were gangs everywhere. The Bronx was burning down. It was arson. It was uh, a situation far worse than we're facing today. And these are dire times, there's no doubt about it. Our previous mayor, the part-time mayor then, Bill de Blasio, uh, who took a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball to this city that we love, dropped the ball completely on all elements of public safety and abandoned the police. By the way, if I have a bit of a problem talking from time to time, it's because uh, my front tooth has been extricated. I may be biting my lip. I may be biting my tongue. No, 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 no. Nobody from the Gambino uh, or the Gottis punched out my front tooth uh, in reaction to my appearance on that ABC TV special. It was Thursday night from 8 to 10, in which I was battling against Sammy the Bull Gramano and uh, John Gotti Jr. If you missed it, it was on from 8 to 10. You got to go on Hulu. I mean, if ever you wanted to know... uh how I was engaged in war against organized crime. You're going to hear my comments, you're going to hear their comments, and you're going to say, I get it. I understand why they wanted to kill you uh, in June of 1992. But put that aside, nobody punched me out. Nobody knocked my tooth out of my mouth. It fell out, and I tried all kinds of remedies over the weekend, all kinds of remedies. Try to get a dentist on any weekend. Never mind the weekend we just had with the snow bomb, right? Uh, I'll get in, in in connection with my dentist uh, in a few hours, Monday morning. But that is the only person that I really have ever had a real fear of—the dentist. It has always been my impression that the toughest of the tough guys are afraid of almost nothing except a dentist, also in a dentist drill. In fact, if you wanted to clear corners of guys carousing or lollygagging around or dealing drugs. Or just uh, drinking 40s, smoking blunts, and acting as enemies of society. All you got to do is put a dental chair down and amplify the sound of a drill. And these guys will turn into jelly bellies. They'll turn, they'll run. They won't want to be anywhere in proximity to what they think is a dental office. And likewise, that's me. I have always dreaded going to the dentist. You talk to the toughest Gavones out there, the muscle heads. You talk to people who are involved in mixed martial arts, UFC, boxing, or or just street fighters, and almost nine out of ten of them will say, what, go to the dentist? No, I'd rather you punch my schnoz right down my throat. But I had to do something because every time I inhale, every time I exhale, there can be some really excruciating pain because the nerves are exposed. So what did I try first? I tried polygrip. You know, the old-timers who have those uh, false choppers in their mouth. They put polygrip in there, or the false choppers come flying out. Never forget this story about the great Warner Wolf, one of the greatest sports casters of all time on TV. He was doing his uh, sports update. I believe it was on Channel 2 at the time. And he hadn't put the polygrip in his false choppers. And halfway through the report... About the New York Giants losing, I think, to the Cleveland Browns. His false choppers came flying out in the direction of the camera, and all of a sudden he was gumming the rest of his report. <laughs> so I tried polygrip, it didn't work. And then I did what every one of you Weisenheimers would hope that I would do I tried the crazy glue. Now, finding crazy glue was a little difficult. Because there weren't that many uh, retail establishments open when the snow was falling yesterday. The snow bomb was hitting. But there was a Dwayne Reed open nearby our studio, here, and I went into the Dwayne Reed and the shelves were empty. And I said, what happened? Uh, was it a Joe Biden shortages? You know, Buttigieg shortages? I said, no, 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 no. Uh, it's shoplifters. You know, people came in here with Alvin Bragg uh, shoplifting bags and they just cleared us out. But I did find, like, two tubes left of crazy glue. And I tried to attach my false tooth into my mouth, and it didn't work. So, ladies and gentlemen, if I have a time uh, talking, uh, tough time talking to all of you, understand it's only because as I inhale the air, and then exhale the air, and not with my mask on. That's, uh, oh, by the way, that's another story. The coronavirus virus. COVID-19 rates have plummeted drastically in the city and the state of New York. It's about time we get rid of the mandates. Get rid of those mass mandates. This is crazy. The restaurants have been destroyed. Look at the latest reports. 65% vacancies. That means you walk into a restaurant. The tables, empty. Reservations, not there. Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. It has had a devastating effect as new Mayor Eric Adams has reimposed the Vax passport mandates and the mask mandates. And people have had it. They're just not coming out. They're just not spending their money. It has had a crushing effect on an industry that is on life support. So now that Mayor Eric Adams at Jacoby Hospital today gave us some good news, that the uh, coronavirus, the COVID-19 rates are plummeting, the hospitalizations are plummeting, the deaths are plummeting. Let's get rid of the mass if nothing more than our kids going to school. This is nonsense and has had a crushing blow. Our number is one 800 That's one 800 wabc All weekend long, from time to time, we have had a problem with our disc which processes uh, our 50,000 powerful watts of sound that we get from our Tower of Power in Lodi, New Jersey. And it throws the signal into 38 states, parts of Canada and parts of Europe as we speak, and into Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle between the Bahamas and Bermuda, where uh, actually uh, Cousin Bootsy had his very first radio gig. So I want to try out the uh, phone systems. It it has been inconsistent. It has gone up, down, all around. And simply because uh, you have icing that has engaged the uh, top of the tower there in Lodi. And our crack engineer, Dan, who's hanging out at Potipin, better known as Satin Dolls, the strip hauler, made famous in uh, The Sopranos, is generally hanging out right next door. And he may have to go scurry up on the pole and knock some of that ice off. So give it a whirl and a twirl. one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then I can't forget our sister station, WLIR, in the Hamptons. It was uh, a form of uh, life support for a lot of our listeners who were getting hit with that snow bomb. Probably worse in the Hamptons and along the south shore of Suffolk County. And we got many calls yesterday in which uh, I think we were quite helpful in keeping everybody cool, calm, and collected until the uh, tsunami of uh, snow, sleet, and ice passed, which was uh, late in the afternoon, about mm, a little more than 24 hours ago. one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four 848 wabc But let's deal with the news story of the day as I try to get this tooth uh right back into my uh, skull, don't worry about it. I can handle it. If there's anything uh, I'm good at, it's giving out uh, pain compliance uh, to thugs and thugs who are breaking the law and sucking it up and dealing with pain. But I will conduct a broadcast as delight tonight. We start out with the main story because, ladies and gentlemen, it is in league with the Who song, the new boss, the same as the old boss. He has claimed all through the uh, Democratic primary campaign in which he beat 12 of his adversaries in the ranked choice voting and then originally beat me in the uh, general election that one of the keynotes of Eric Adams, our mayor's public safety program, was to put back into action the plain clothes unit, right? The plain clothes unit. He said it over and over the undercover unit. These are the men and women that had been disbanded in the summer of 2020 as part of uh, the defunding of a billion dollars out of the police department. That was a shanda, That was a disgraziata led by Mayor de Blasio and the feckless uh, uh, majority of our city council and Dermot Shea, Yes, he agreed with that. The police commission, he agreed with defunding the police department by a billion dollars. As a result of defunding a billion dollars from the police uh, budget, uh, they decided to dismantle and to put on the shelf the anti-crime unit. These are the men and women who went out there, undercover, dressed plain clothes. You couldn't spot them from anybody else in the neighborhood because they would be dressed in normal garb, sometimes roguish garb, hoodie garb we'll call it. They'd be driving Federal Express trucks, livery cabs, all kinds of cars that had been stolen, you know, with the uh, the rims, rocking the rims. I mean, they, they had all. I mean, when, when you t- you talk about tricked out cars and the tinted windows, they had it. They looked like they had blend right into the neighborhood. And they knew all the players, the good, the bad, the ugly. And they would do jump outs, which preemptively stopped gangs from going to war with one another. Especially the Bloods versus the Crips. Especially the Trinitarios against one another. That's right. They fight themselves, the Trinitarios, the Dominican Dominican gang. MS-13 versus 18th Street. The El Salvadorian vicious gang of predators. That then President uh, Donald Trump said the bad hombres, and they are, versus 18th Street, the Mexican gang. The cops were great at that. There were 600 men and women undercover. They would take out of the streets of New York City and the projects half the guns and make half the gun arrests. Only a unit of 600 out of a police department of 36,000. Man, they were great at what they did. But immediately it was decided that they would be disbanded. And all throughout the campaign, Eric Adams said that he would restore the plain-clothes unit, right? The plain-clothes unit. So before we do anything else, I want to use our uh, fellow host, Larry Kudlow, as an example. Larry Kudlow was doing his program yesterday, and our other colleague, Greg uh, Greg Kelly, was kind enough to come in and discuss with him what... uh, this new plain clothes unit would actually be not wearing plain clothes. So, uh, Maestro, there, our board operator, I want you to play Cut 23. As a shocked Larry Kudlow, big supporter of Eric Adams, was befuddled to learn from Greg Kelly, as you know, the son of the longest serving police commissioner in the history of the NYPD, Ray Kelly, broke it down to him that what Cudlow and others thought would be the reinstitution of the plainclothes unit that was so effective in getting gangs and guns off the street preemptively,
2: but in fact not be a plainclothes unit. Curiously, or actually, uh, as worse, <laughs> insanely, he wants to do that with them wearing uniforms. The whole essence oh. of anti-crime is undercover. Yes, they want to be identifiable oh. to the public. This is a. This is a crazy compromise with the left so we'll have anti-crime they'll be wearing ordinary clothes but you'll be able to identify them as cops so they're wearing nypd hats it's it's really kind of it's it's beyond amateurish it's it's childish some of the things they're talking about right now it's kind of self-defeating i thought the whole purpose was to move about anonymously to then strike and be more effective you get points though, because people who, you know, a lot of folks in the media say, "Oh, okay, Eric Adams is bringing back the anti-crime unit. That's great." Then you look at the details, because he has to take care of his base, and they'll say also, and will try to obscure this, but it's true. You can you can look it up. He actually said it the other day when he uh, when he spoke um, uh, that uh, special uh, announcement. He said that they will be identifiable as police officers, identifiable as police officers, and they'll be wearing body cams. So he's trying to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And that's why we can support the mayor. But I think we have to apply a great deal of pressure right. uh, on him and on his commissioner. I mean, we don't have you – know, Larry, you're there. We've got Bob Goodwin. Uh, we got a handful of people who are willing and have the ability to talk about this stuff. Notice, Larry
1: Kudlow, right? was befuddled. Now, let's face it. That's not the sweet spot of Larry Kudlow. Uh, His uh, forte is how to deal with money, how to deal with the economy, how to deal with Wall Street. You know, the CNBC guy who became the Fox News business guy. And obviously broadcasting here at WABC, a nationally syndicated program, you don't want to miss 10 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon. But notice how our colleague, Greg uh, Kelly schooled him. That's why you got to be listening to Greg Kelly in the afternoons. Uh, He's got a great show, a stream of consciousness from one in the afternoon to three Monday through Fridays before my combate Rudy Giuliani. Nobody knows any more about making a safe city from what was the murder capital of New York city, the murder capital of America in which there had been 2000 killings a year during the last days of David Dinkins, 5,000 unsolved shootings. And then in eight years, Rudy Giuliani turned that city, the murder capital, into the safest big city in America. You think Eric Adams would pick up the phone and say, hey, Rudy, you know, I supported you. I was a Republican back then. Yeah, do you know Eric Adams was a Republican? Supported Rudy, said, Rudy, oh, Rudy is hard on crime. My friend David Dinkins is soft on crime. Yeah, he he seems to have forgotten that. And he talks every day to de Blasio. What the hell does de Blasio know? About cracking down on crime, he disbanded the plain clothes unit, better known as anti-crime. <laughs> Thank you, Greg Kelly. Good, great job. This is good. See, it's like a family affair. And our next break, hey, my my you bring back a uh, slide of family stone. It's a family affair because that's the synergy of WABC twenty four seven three six five. The boys return tomorrow, actually in a few hours. Bernard McGurk, streetwise, grew up in the Monroe housing projects, in the Soundview section, uh, opposite the uh, Sotomayor projects. I mean, this guy's street smart, and so is. So is Sid Rosenberg, grew up in the Midwood section of Brooklyn, and let's face it, at times he's been a hot mess in the streets of New York City. But he knows the good, the bad, the ugly. And you'll see, with Eric Adams, it's what we say in Italian. Medza, medza, poco, poco. You get half and half. Just when you think he's going to go the whole nine yards for public safety, he pulls back. This street crime unit, which will be citywide based in precincts, which will have 400 men and women that he says have been selected already from precinct commands, will have to undergo special training. They will not be undercover. They will wear a different uniform than what you normally see of a police officer in the street. But they will be identifiable with that uniform. They will wear a body cam that every thug and thugette will be able to pick out. And they have to keep that body cam on. So they can't use tricknology to fool the thugs and thuggets in conversation, which is part of being anti-crime, part of being A member of the Plain Clothes Unit, or as what you all know, undercover. And they're going to have to wear a badge. Now, can you imagine? You're walking down the street. You got, like, a Catholic school uniform on. You know, maybe the girls are wearing patent leather uh, shoes and uh, pleated skirts. Uh, You got a badge that says, I'm an undercover cop. (laughs) Undercover cop. And every tug on the corner is going, 5-0, 5 You think they're going to be driving tricked out cars that are in the police compounds that have been seized from the car jackets? No. You think they're going to be riding Federal Express trucks? No. You think they're going to be driving around in livery cabs, gypsy cabs, which blend into the environment? No. They're going to be driving around and that hasn't been determined yet. Yeah, you can imagine if it's Mark Cars in a different kind of a police uniform with a badge, with a body cam, operating 24-7, 365. Are they going to be wearing police hats? By the way, most cops don't even wear their police hats. Uh, that needs to be enforced because that's how you identify five zero, especially when they're in uniform. So this whole concept of him putting back the plain clothes unit a.k.a. the undercover unit, is bogus. He's not selling the general public on what it's going to be. It's going to be a uniform patrol with badges being shown. Not badges, you know, on little necklaces that the cops wear underneath their clothes, and then they pull out when they're ready to make arrest or identify themselves. This is bull feathers. Come on. Greg Kelly did a great job exposing it. The son of the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York, Ray Kelly, who made his bones serving out of the 25th precinct initially in Harlem. Yep, that's Ray Kelly. He knew how to bust his shoes. He wasn't a lawyer cop. He was a street cop. Or Bernard Carrick, who I first met, was undercover in Times Square in the age of crack cocaine. Or Safar, who was the second police commissioner of Rudy, who was actually in the DEA making drug busts. And Bill Bratton, who was a cop himself who busted his shoes in Southie in Boston, became police commissioner in Boston, police commissioner uh, in Los Angeles, and twice was police commissioner in New York, but also the transit police commissioner before that for David Dinkins. So he had the cred. Anyway, let's open up our uh, phone lines. 1-800-848-9222 one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. And they will be called the Neighborhood Safety Anti-Gun Team. Does that sound very intimidating? Like anti-crime, street crime. unit. <laughs> I mean, that sounds intense. Uh, gentlemen there uh, on the corner, you, citizen uh, you, we are members of the Neighborhood Safety Anti-Gun Team. As you can see, we have our body cam. We have our special uniform. And, yes, here is our badge number. Come on. Please. Hey, Eric, you know better than that. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Roberta in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Oh, Roberta. Hey.
3: hey, Curtis. I have a great dentistry. We just left the Staten Island to use them, so I don't know if you're fine. Anyway, I'm calling a about... When when Eric Adams first became mayor, he was threatened by Black Lives Matter. If he dares put that uh, anti-crime unit, they're going to riot and, got, and whatever, whatever else bad stuff they do. So I think he's afraid of them, and that's why he's not
4: doing no, it.
1: No, 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 no. Roberta, we got to give credit where credit is due. Days before he was sworn into office, he was still Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams. Uh, Black Lives Matter led by Hawk Newsome, uh the chicken hawk. Uh, walked across the Brooklyn Bridge, all 12 of them. They had been protesting outside of de Blasio's office in City Hall. They demanded a sit-down with then-Borough President Eric Adams at Brooklyn Borough Hall. He he had to sit down. It was all on film. Uh, Hawk Newsom did uh, threaten him. He said, I'll burn the city down if you put back into uh, effect the street crime unit, a.k.a. the anti-crime unit, a.k.a. the uh, plainclothes unit, and uh, Eric Adams stood up to him and he said, no, you won't. You're not burning down my city. Uh, that ain't happening on my watch. So to his credit, Roberta, he stood up to Hawk Newsome. The problem is he hasn't stood up to Alvin Bragg. I want to hug my thugs, Alvin Bragg. I, I, I want to prosecute them. I want to turn them loose. I want to give them all brag bags so they can go into Dwayne Reed, CBS, Walgreens, and they can shoplift. And I don't care how much they steal because I'm not going to prosecute them. Oh, no, no. Now, he won't stand up to Alvin Brad, but he did stand up to Hawk News. And so, Roberta, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Anyway, our number is one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. So the other day, as Greg Kelly was mentioning, uh, Eric Adams uh, rolled out for all of us what his street crime unit, a.k.a. his anti-crime unit, would look like, and it would not be a plainclothes unit. And then he said something that was really disturbing to me, and I know a lot of members of law enforcement. It's just a day after, police officer Rivera, was brought out of St. Patrick's Cathedral in that funeral mass where thousands and thousands, a sea of blue, were up and down Fifth Avenue to salute him on his way to his final resting place. But Eric Adams had the chutzpah to actually say, we've acted like crips and bloods sometimes. This needs to stop. The police have acted like crips and bloods? You're saying that the anti-crime unit, the street crime unit, the undercover police, 600 brave men and women who put everything on the line right before the summer of 2020, who were responsible for 50% of the gun collars in a police department of 36,000, 600 responsible for 50% of the gun collars. And you're saying they acted like Crips and Bloods? How are you going to get the support of the police department if you're already questioning their tactics and suggesting that they operate like street gang members and you're going to reform them, you're going to retrain them, and you're going to put them in uniforms, different than what the police have who patrol the streets, with badges, with body cams, with new orders from headquarters that are going to render them impotent? Our number is 1-800-848-WABC.
0: Talk station with the King of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It's the family
1: affair. It's the family affair. Yes, it is. That's why it's synergistic here on WABC. All live programming all the time. Great merging of two minds yesterday in the afternoon as the snow was falling. Greg Kelly calling up Larry Kudlow Saturday afternoon to explain to him what the new Eric Adams uh, anti-gun team would consist of. And Larry Kudlow was blown away. He had no idea. He thought that it would be the old undercover police, you know, dressed in normal civilian garb. They would blend in to the uh, neighborhoods uh, that they were assigned. And uh, Greg Kelly had to bust his bubble, and I know a lot of your bubbles, because you were believing the same propaganda coming from Eric Adams, who always straddles the fence. He doesn't want to offend people on one side, the law and order side, or the uh, pro-criminal side. He tries to uh, satisfy everybody. And you know, ultimately, you never satisfy anybody when you try to satisfy everybody. You've got to be adversarial. But this is such a linchpin. This is so important to getting guns off the streets, to controlling gangs and burglaries, because that was the other thing. It hasn't really been said enough. The NYPD undercover units, when they existed, the 600 men and women were great at preventing and stopping and resolving and solving burglary cases that have been skyrocketing. But when you start off your press conference, uh, as he did on Friday, In the aftermath of the uh, burial of Police Officer Rivera this week, it'll be Police Officer Mora. I'll be at the wake on Tuesday. Hopefully you'll all attend St. Patrick's Cathedral from 1 to 8. And then the funeral mass for Police Officer Mora will be Wednesday at 9 a.m. in the morning. Cardinal Dolan will be presiding again. But when you say that the previous anti-crime unit, the undercover police unit, was acting like Crips and Bloods, and that needs to stop. What the hell are you talking about? And he issued a stern warning to any of the men and women who have been recruited into this new anti-gun team saying you are not going to be abusive, you are not going to profile, you are not going to target. What are you talking about? You got to let these men and women use their street smarts. People profile in urban areas to stay alive. They look at certain people who are walking down the block and they say, I ain't walking down that block because I may not make it off the block. Yeah, people who live in the urban areas profile so they can stay alive, so they won't get thugged up, so they won't get mugged. For instance, you go into a public housing project where the cops no longer do verticals. They no longer police the stairwells without which the gangs control, the gun-running thugs control. How many residents, because the elevators, have been uh, vandalized to make sure they don't go up and down. And now they got to go up the steps. Look at a group of thugs hanging out, smoking blunts, drinking 40s. And they profiled them and said, you know what? I'm not going upstairs right now. Because if I walk into that Venus flytrap, I'm going to get mugged. I'm going to get a knife. I might even get shot. They're profiling. But then again, we don't want to... Police to profile. We want our police to walk around flashing badges as an undercover unit, which is an oxymoron. 1 800 The secret of undercover operations, plainclothes units, is that they do jump outs, lickety split, when it's least expected. Boom! They're jumping out from all different aspects of that block, uh, block cutting off your ability to exit, your ability to escape. That's not going to happen any longer, according to Eric Adams, who said, "We are not going to let our police department act like Crips and Bloods. This needs to stop." Now, if you happen to be a cop, what are you going to think about that? Oh, the mayor, one of our colleagues, man who had been a cop for twenty-two years, ten years uh, in transit, twelve years. Uh, in the NYPD, some of that in a white shirt. where he had white shirt immunity like every other black, Hispanic, white, Asian, male or female has. They wear the white shirt, which means they're the shot callers. They have immunity. The rest of the cops, they have Ugats, They have bupkis. Our number is one 800 That's one 800 Let's go to John in Hell's Kitchen. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Curtis, uh, Friday
5: night on the John Katsimatidis show, and with would all do respect to Mr. Katsimatidis because he didn't comment. He had on uh, Ray Kelly as his guest. And the first words out of Ray Kelly's mouth was, we're in a lot of trouble. But uh, uh, the ex-governor who was on and one of the judges, they had been kissing, as you say, the us of this fraudulent mayor, as far as I'm concerned, Curtis. And I got to tell you something, Curtis. I'm a street guy like you're a street guy. That stunt with hawk newsome and you have a lot of grace because you're willing to try to give props to this guy that was a stunt don't forget that eric adams was painting black lives matter with the blasio in front of trump tower marching in the street and you you know as well as anybody curtis when he was a cop He was a rabble rouser. He was an activist. He was an advocate. He was going precinct to precinct wanting to know, was white guys bothering the black guys? He ain't a cop. He's a fraud. He lives in Jersey. You should have been the mayor. That's my thought.
1: Wait a second, John. Didn't you see Eric Adams shoveling snow outside of his basement apartment on Lafayette in Bed-Stuy?
5: Yes, I did. Because you know why? How many cameras were there, Curtis? How many cameras were there? uh, Listen, this guy's a peacock. This guy's a peacock with his pocket squares, <laughs> his, his ill-fitting suits, his Burberry scarf. Oh wait, wait, wait a like second. Wait, where did he, wait, where did wait, he get all those clothes? Wait, wait, that wait, guy second. from Brooklyn brought them for
1: him, yeah, right? Right, right, right. Jod, Jod, Jod. Yes, he did live in Fort Lee with Tracy Collins in apartment twenty-two H. Tracy Collins, his domestic partner, who works for the Department of Education. Although we haven't seen her publicly, they share the apartment. And he's at Gracie Mansion some of the time. So this concept of uh, shoveling snow outside of his basement apartment in Lafayette, in bed give it up. Give it up. Eric, you don't have to pretend you live any longer in bed Lafayette. Nobody cares. Nobody cares as long as you do the job. And those tailored suits, they're not off to rack. <laughs> and those Ferragamo shoes, cost a lot of coin. And you can't afford that on a borough president's salary. No way. So, yeah, he's had his Medici's. He's had his supporters who have uh, given him quite the extensive wardrobe. My God. At times he is a peacock. But, hey, let's give him an opportunity to do the job. I analyze everything that Eric Adams says. Uh, Not just what he says, but what he does. So far, let's face it, he's done more in his limited time as mayor than Bill de Blasio did in eight years. Problem for Eric Adams is he had more crime problems, more shootings of police uh, in just three weeks of his uh, first month in office than Bill de Blasio had in any three weeks of his eight years of ineptness. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Freddie in Bayside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Fred. Yes, hello, Fred.
4: Came hello. out to today when I was eating a bagel and lox and cream cheese. My tooth went flying out, so I feel your pain. But in no, regards no, to... No, no, hold on, hold
1: on, So you had the schmear on your bagel, right, the cream cheese with the lox. You're, you're eating right. the bagel, and all of a sudden your tooth goes flying, right? It goes flying out. I felt the pain. I had a
4: crawl on the floor under the table to look for the tooth. I found it. And uh, I got to go see a dentist, too. Can't find a dentist now.
1: Wow. And did you use what I tried? I tried polygrip uh, in that tooth. You know, that's what the old-timers use who have false choppers. Uh, that didn't work, Fred. And then I used crazy glue. in uh, the only Dwayne Reed I could find that was open, uh, the shelves were bare mm-hmm. from all the shoplifting with the Alvin uh, Bragg bags. Uh mm-hmm. Fred, have you used any remedy mm-hmm. to try to get that tooth back into your mouth? I just,
4: I just put some uh, thing to alleviate the pain. I went to a drugstore, I couldn't find
1: anything. Yeah, because hey got, they got, they they got looted also, right? I mean, they're closing CVS, Walgreens, they're closing Dwayne Reed's, right Aids, because all of a sudden the looters and the the, the shoplifters, they're going like cloakers through the cornfield. Fred, we're, we're here it is. Both you and I were in pain, and we can't even. Get anything at a 24-hour drugstore.
4: I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, I'm glad I can wear the mask now for the first time because it hides my face.
1: <laughs> You're right. This it is hides good. my face. That's right, because you don't want, cosmetically, you don't want to be seen like you and I look right now, missing a front tooth, right?
4: It doesn't look too good, and my face is swollen, and I don't, I think, these cloth masks don't do anything.
1: No, they don't. But hey, look, cosmetically, right now, both you and I need it because when we when we all of a sudden laugh, people look at us and they say, "What the hell happened to you?"
4: Well, let me say one more thing. The biggest pain for me is not seeing the dentist. Is when I get presented with the bill every time I go. <laughs> That's right.
1: You know, a lot That's of dental a lot of dental work is not covered by uh, uh, health insurance. Not covered in a lot of ways by uh, government-sponsored health care. A lot of times people don't realize, uh, they say, oh, eyeglasses, yeah, hearing aids, okay, I get that. Okay, uh, medical procedures, I get that. Oh, co I get that. And then all of a sudden you get a dental bill for like thousands and thousands of dollars. And all of a sudden you find out you have no coverage for that, right, Fred? That's right, because the last like number of dentists have been
4: gone of the first order, the highest order, total goners.
1: All right, now, now bill. what do you think? What do you think about this, Fred? I was thinking since uh, this uh, false tooth that I've had in my mouth for a month of Sundays is not going to ever stay in again, I get a gold tooth. What do you think? How would I look flashing a gold tooth? 100% gold, although I do feel that with inflation— and gold prices soaring, that somebody's going to put a gun to my head and try to pull that gold tooth out.
4: Uh, that's, the, that's the fallacy, that that argument. The, you're, you're a handsome fellow, and a gold tooth would probably enhance that,
1: but you're right, you'd be a target. What about a grill? You know, like the rappers have, they put a grill in their mouth. How about if I put a grill in my mouth and then the words Curtis on the front, you know, with little little <laughs> emeralds? What do you think? Oh, you mean writing on your teeth? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Then I can be cool, hip, happening. I have glide in my stride. And then all of a sudden, the brothers and the sisters in the rap world would say, oh, he's got street cred. Curtis Sleewa's got a grill in his mouth.
4: And they would say you're not just another
1: vulnerable white boy, right? They'd say that's right. He's not a dopey white boy. He's got street cred. He's a Caucasian persuasion. He's a snow bro. I think, I think I can pull it off, Fred. I can pull it off. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? As I uh, languish here in pain, every time I breathe in, breathe out, Ah, uh, you know, the nerves, the nerves are exposed. The polygraph didn't work. Crazy glue didn't work the hell could I do to put this tooth back into my mouth before I can finally find a dentist? You know, you can't find a dentist on the weekend. You can't find a dentist on the weekend. It just doesn't. You'd more likely find a plastic surgeon or that woman who puts Botox into Sid Rosenberg in Bay Ridge, right? Then you would find a dentist. They don't work on the weekends. You call up a dentist. I'm sorry. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Afterwards, tough nuggies. You call emergency number, right? All the dentists have emergency after-hours numbers. You know, it's a service. You call the service. The person answers, uh, can I help you, Mr. Sleva? Yes, yes, I need the dentist immediately. It is an emergency. The dentist finally gets back to you. He sounds like he just woke up. What can I do for you, Curtis? I got an emergency. My tooth fell out, and I can barely speak. I'll see you on Monday, Monday morning, 9 o'clock. And, you know, damn well, I'm not going into an emergency room, not uh, Coney Island Hospital, not Woodkill, uh, better known as Woodhull in Bushwick, not Kings County, not Bellevue, and not Jacoby, where Mayor Eric Adams was earlier today announcing that COVID rates are down in half. COVID deaths are almost non-existent in the city. So let's get rid of these mask mandates. It's killing this city. And let's... Take them off our kids. I've got three sons in school. Anthony at 18, he's an intern here at WABC. In fact, I just did another podcast uh, with my son, Anthony, uh, on Friday. We've got six in the can. You could go to WABCradio.com. You can see all the podcasts that are done by the hosts and hostesses here, the original podcast, and obviously the podcasts of all the programs that we do here. But look for the one, Father and Son, Curtis and Anthony. Oh, it blows up. It blows up. And then I, then I have this Carter, this Hunter, right? All of them go to public school. All of them have to wear freaking masks, diapers on their face, like when they were little babies, right? They had diapers, diapers on their tush, their dupa, their tuchus. Now they got diapers on their face. Do you think that now that these uh, COVID numbers are down dramatically, We can actually stop having our kids wear masks. And eventually, if you choose, because I know some of you, you want to be mummified for the rest of your life. You love wearing masks. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. You want to wear a mask? Fine. But the rest of us should be able to take these freaking masks off and celebrate Mask Liberation Day. I think I'm going to do that with Sid Rosenberg, who is the most resistant to wearing masks Anywhere, 24 365 Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
0: Check this out. No, no, one no one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh.
1: Unfortunately, in a lot of ways, as the Who song says, the new boss, Eric Adams, is like the old boss, Bill de Blasio. He said something earlier today that is going to rock your world. He said, you think you had a lot of homeless shelters before with Bill de Blasio, 80 that was shoved into neighborhoods all over the five boroughs of the city of New York, supposedly under the guise that every neighborhood has to take care of their own homeless people. This was the guise. That's why they were putting so many homeless shelters in so many neighborhoods. You remember, it started long ago when they converted that uh, Holiday Inn Express in Maspeth to a shelter for single able-bodied men, and the community fought back against it, resisted, and prevented it. That was the last time a community was able to prevent, in total, A shelter from being forced upon them. Afterwards, the de Blasio administration recognized, don't let them know in advance. Don't have any meetings. Just under the cover of darkness, open up a homeless shelter, and they have 80 throughout New York City. Devastating neighborhoods. Well, Eric Adams announced uh, he's adding insult to injury. He says he's opening up new homeless shelters. And he said, neighborhoods that have been the this, this sacred cow, right, protected from homeless shelters, guess what? You're getting those homeless shelters. And he said, the first one, Community Board 11 in the Bronx. And I said to myself, Community Board 11? That's where I was first trained to be a manager in McDonald's, White Plains Road, Allerton Avenue. I said, you know, I'm familiar with that neighborhood. I'm in and out of that neighborhood. So that means he wants to shove homeless shelters into Morris Park. Oh, that's right. Morris Park voted for me. They didn't vote for Eric Adams. Hmm. Maybe that's payback, right? Maybe uh, make sure you get uh, James Brown payback there. Cue it up right now. I may call for it right now. Morris Park, Allerton Avenue, Pelham Gardens, Pelham Parkway, right near Columbus High School. Uh, if memory serves me correct, about 40% of the population is white. That's unusual in the Bronx. It's mostly Hispanic now, uh, mostly Dominican and Puerto Rican, then black, then white. But in that area that he says he's going to shove homeless shelters in, just to just to show all of you, you voted for Curtis Sleeve, that's where the homeless shelters are going to go. <laughs> Morris Park, Pelham Gardens, Pelham Parkway. Where forty percent of the folks are white, thirty percent are Hispanic, seven percent are black, and that means they're going to be more for sale signs. In I know what happens. They put a shelter into a neighborhood. These shelters do not provide any services for the men or the women who have all kinds uh, of uh, under under issues. You know they're hot messes. Could be drugs. Could be alcohol. Could be mental health issues. There's no supervision. They have to get in by 10 o'clock at night or they lose their rack and then they roam the streets. And that's it. It's a warehouse. Man, that ain't good. But, hey, look, he's he's building one super, super homeless shelter. Be ready up there in Morris Park. You voted for me. Now you're going to get pain compliance in which he's going to shove 540 single adult men in into one shelter. That is unmanageable. When you go to shelters, as I have all over the city, they're very easy to walk into. The security is porous. The morale of the employees is at an all-time low. You'll find out that 50% of the clients of shelters, whether they are single, able-bodied male shelters, single, able-bodied female shelters, not the family shelters, but the uh, single, able-bodied shelters, a uh, guys and gals that just got out of prison. That's fifty percent. Because they get out of prison. Let's say they come back from upstate, they just did a bid for armed robbery. Uh five years. That won't happen any longer. You do armed robbery now, you won't even go to Rikers. Uh but back then you got a few years for doing armed robbery. You go to your house, right, where your family is. Your family doesn't want you there. They can't manage you, you're a hot mess. So they tell you, take your, your, your valuables, whatever you got, in a black, hefty trash bag. You see guys walking around with a black, hefty trash bag. Next stop, they're in a shelter. Nowadays, you don't get arrested for nothing. You get disappearance tickets. So you end up going back to the shelter, scheming to commit more crime because you know there are no consequences for those actions. Eric Adams, uh, my God, you can't open up more homeless shelters. It's going to drive more people out the door to North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. Homeless services is a complete mess. He has new directors, but the new boss, the same as the old boss when it comes uh, to public safety and when it comes to homeless shelters, and this uh, new anti-crime unit that is not playing close. Let's be very specific to that. If you learned anything tonight, and from Greg Kelly on Kudlow on Saturdays, these are not plainclothes units. These are uniformed units in which the cops are wearing badges and they have to have video cams on 24-7-365. That is not undercover police work on TV, in movies or in real life. York's talk
0: station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
1: Soul Brother number one, James Brown, king of the big 125, the Apollo Theater, when he performed, got ants in my pants and I need to dance, who was uh, the little minister who would uh, do his prayer routine at the start of a James Brown show, was Al Slim Shady Sharpton. That's right, Al Slim Shady Sharpton uh, was a uh, protégé. Of James Brown. But we're talking revenge. And this is revenge on the people of New York because we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. We have a brand new mayor. We certainly want him to be successful. We know he will be more successful than Bill de Blasio, who single-handedly took a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball to destroy the city that we love. Maybe he'll just go back to Boston Cambridge, where he was birthed, become an adjunct professor at Harvard University, poli-sci, and destroy a whole new generation of young, supple minds uh, who want to learn about political science. But do it there, not here. Just knowing that he's back in Park Slope, that dope, on 7th Avenue and 11th Street, uh, buying his nickel and dime bags from the Rastafari that he always bought from when he was uh, city council who had been there fixing parking tickets, and then a public advocate Writing uh, a free dime towards higher office like all these public advocates. Jumani Williams hates the police, hates prisons, yet lives on the military compound of Fort Hamilton, the active garrison where he's got to show personal ID to the uh, MPs each and every day to go in and out. But then again, it's typical do as I say, not as I do, Jumani Williams, who's running for the governorship and will be challenging uh, Kathy Hokum. Not Hoku. Hokum means nonsense. For the Democratic nomination to go up uh, against the guy I'm promoting in the Republican primary, not Lee Zeldin, uh, not Rob Astorino, but Andrew Giuliani. That's right. I'm out there campaigning with him. We'll see uh, what becomes of all of that. But it's so important as we uh, look and you got to look and you got to look at each and every one of the proposals of our new mayor, Eric Adams, and say, hmm. Is this appropriate? Is this going to help us become uh The safest big city in America. Again, I hope so. But in many instances, I know that's not the case. The mayor uh, will be welcoming President Joe Biden on Thursday because uh, the mayor has said for every one gun the cops take off the street, they have another five coming in on the iron pipeline uh, for illegal guns that flood the streets of New York. So he's blaming the federal government for this crime increase. Not the fact that we defunded the police. Not the fact that there's no bail. But the federal government hasn't stopped the flow of illegal handguns. Guess what? If you're street smart, you already know there are 2 million illegal handguns that are in the five boroughs of the city of New York. They're not biodegradable. It's like a plastic bag that you bury in a landfill. It can last for 100 years and still shoot and maim and kill somebody. So all these guns have been collected, illegal. They're owned by mostly law-abiding people. They have them on their premise. They have them in their place of business, and sometimes they carry them or they keep them in the glove compartment of their car or underneath their seat because they're terrified of the crime. And they haven't been getting the response from the NYPD in eight years. So you understand they feel like they need their own personal protection. They're not a whale. They're not connected. They're not a trendoid, freakishoid, jet setter. So they can't get a permit to carry. Oh, my God. To have a permit to carry, it's like you're one in a million. To have a permit to keep a gun on your premises, uh, it's a little easier, but it's still tough. You got to jump through a lot of hoops. And an average guy or a gal is not going to be able to get that. So they have these illegal handguns. Most of those will never go into the street. Some of them will. Because they get taken up by thugs when there are home invasions, when there are burglaries, when there are robberies. And then they circulate amongst the thugs. Thugs will not take their illegal handguns down into the streets when the streets are hot. When they know they're stopping frisk, when they know there's undercover police, when they know they're doing jump outs out of unmarked cars. And they're not wearing identifiable garb. So, they will still have the same number of illegal handguns, 2 million by uh, NYPD estimates. But the federal government can do nothing for us. So, it's going to be show and tell on Thursday. The other thing Eric Adams has said is that we need to back the Build Back Better Act, which is dead on arrival because of Mansion in West Virginia. Because in that uh, trillions and trillions of dollar budget, It's $5 billion for anti-violence initiatives. And our mayor is promoting what he calls the violence interrupters. I know the violence interrupters. I've seen them work in the city where they first started, Los Angeles. They failed. In Chicago, they failed. In Washington, D.C., they failed. And I'll tell you why they failed. But I want to play a cut uh, of the violence interrupters so you get sort of the flavor of what these citizens are supposed to do. We're going to involve every community, every
2: precinct, and our state and federal partners. This plan focuses on the three pieces that are crucial, our communities, our cops, and our courts.
6: We will
1: start by putting more officers on patrol in key neighborhoods throughout the city.
2: Ensuring that our cops are in the places we need them most
1: intensely. You blew it. Violence interrupters, right? Pay attention here. You're talking in there like a yenta. Pay attention. Focus on me. I'm the only one that counts. I'm like the maestro of the audience, of the uh, orchestra. Violence interrupters. They've
6: updated this program. Uh, They don't yell and scream at people's faces, but uh, they got some former criminals and some nice guys, too, people in the community who want to uh, encourage the young people not to engage in violence. They call this the violence interrupter program and it started in Chicago. Guess who's copying it? New York, right? It's, it's not a thing. It really isn't. It's never worked and it sucks up a surprising amount of money because they're always wearing, you know, jackets and hats and, you know, setting up these little, uh, youth camp things. And, you know, just, uh, it's, it, it's, it, it costs more money than you think, but listen to what they're talking about. If you really listen, well, if you listen casually, you think it sounds great. But I want you to really listen to what they're talking about. And you tell me, is this going to actually fight crime? Is this going to reduce violence? The violence interrupter program, a bunch of people wearing jackets, some former criminals wanting to set people straight. Nice thought, but it doesn't work. Cut 32.
7: This one of the guys from the neighborhood, he see us out here every day. He rock with us. He, you know, let us know when it's a good time, when it's a bad time. We help them out as much as we
2: can. We just want the police to be better and more responsible, and we want to be a part of that solution.
8: We'll go right on the corner where the guys be at, right on their hot spot, right on their corner, and we'll just post up and pass out hot dogs and food until 1 in the morning.
6: Hot dogs and food until 1 in the morning. Good luck with that. Be right back.
1: Sounds like uh, midnight basketball to me from Bill Clinton's era. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, magnificent job by Greg Kelly, son of the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York, Greg Kelly. You can't miss Greg Kelly's show, 1 to 3 in the afternoon. He's got his finger right on the pulse. Followed by Mike Kumbarichich, again, greatest mayor in our lifetime. Turned uh, New York City from the murder capital under Dinkins to the safest big city in America. You would think Eric Adams would call Rudy. It doesn't even have to be on the record. It could be on the down low. Rudy knows a lot, but I know a lot about violence interrupters because as much as Greg Kelly uh, said he knew of them, I've worked with them in Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and in New York City. And the premise of the violence interrupters is that they recruit former criminals, former gangbangers, people who have been on the wrong side of the law, which is a good idea. I do that with the Guardian Angels. The problem is the leaders of the violence interrupters were welcomed into one police plaza by Dermot Shea, the feckless uh, police commissioner under uh, de Blasio, and Terrence Moynihan, who was number two in charge, and they had a meeting. They wanted to embrace the violence interrupters, and the violence interrupters' leadership said, we don't cooperate with the police. We don't snitch out criminals or gangbangers. So naturally, Terence Moynihan, who has been around a lot longer than Dermot Chase, said, but wait a second, if you know that there's a gangbanger who has done a shooting or has murdered somebody, aren't you going to tell the police? And they said, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. So Eric Adams wants uh, $5 billion for this anti-violence initiative, violence interrupters. As Greg Kelly said, nice idea, sounds good. Uh, they're not doing any harm in the streets. It's sort of like uh, when you have a cold and you have chicken soup, it can only uh, help. It can't hurt. But it's not going to solve crimes. And they're not going to snitch out gangbangers and not going to snitch out criminals that they know uh, have committed crimes, recent crimes in the community. They will not even be the eyes and ears of the police. So why would we be pouring billions and billions of dollars into violence interrupters when we can go out and hire more police? And I remind Eric Adams, our mayor. That when he had been uh, elected in the Democratic primary uh, after ranked choice voting. He was summoned to Washington, D.C. to represent New York City, not de Blasio, not Dervin Jay, not even Andrew Cuomo, who was the governor. He sat with mayors and police commissioners whose cities were under siege in front of uh, President Joe Biden at that time. Many of you probably remember it was in July of this past summer. And the president said, I will take a slice of the stimulus package and I will give it to cities if they will hire police. That's all they can do with it. They have to hire police because there's a dearth of police. Bill de Blasio had turned President Joe Biden down twice. That offer, you never turn money down from the federal government. And after the meeting, Eric Adams went outside. A phalanx of reporters asked him, are you going to take advantage uh, of the offer that President Joe Biden uh, made when you become mayor, remember, he was already uh, uh, he was already uh, uh, elected uh, mayor in the minds of the press corps. And he said, no, we won't. The money was offered. We should have taken it. We could have had a recruitment class in College Point. They could have been trained. They could have been out in the streets. They could have been aiding and abetting other police efforts to try to drive down this violent crime, the gun crime, the gang crime, the burglaries. Everything that has turned New York City into a crime capital, kept the tourists away, kept the workers away from these empty office buildings, 75% that are unoccupied now, uh, and helped return a quality of life. one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert.
9: Yeah, Curtis. How you doing tonight,
1: Right. Uh, hold on a second, Robert. Uh... Uh, rules and regulations. It's not Robert uh, Robert, rules uh, of order when you debate. It's uh, rules and regulations when you call. Never ask me how am I doing because, Robert, I'm going to tell you I've had better days. Kabish? Kabish? I know. I know, Curtis. Listen, as long as these demon crats are in office, these masks are never going to come off. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> you, re- You really think so? I think so, yeah. Well, you know, because now now it's not about it's not about the science. It's
3: all
2: about politics with them.
1: So even though Eric Adams today announced that Jacoby Hospital uh, and obviously it was good news, COVID-19 levels are down in half. Hospitalizations are down. Nobody's dying from COVID-19. You don't think the next step will be, at least for the kids uh, in school, to take those freaking diapers off their face? You don't think that'll be?
9: I hope so. Listen,
3: the guy's been in office 30 days already. Five cops killed, two dead already. What's going to happen for the next
9: uh, three years, four years from now? What's going to happen in this city?
1: Well, well, look, uh, I give him the benefit of the doubt. But let me tell you something else that's happening out there, ladies and gentlemen. The Democrats control the redistricting process. We have lost in New York State with a flight of population, mostly to Florida, North Carolina and other southern states. Uh, so many people that we uh, have lost a congressional district. Florida has gained one. Texas has gained three. Uh, other areas of the country have gained congressional districts south of the Mason-Dixon line. We have lost another congressional district. And as a result of the redistricting, the only Republican uh, congressperson that we have in the five boroughs is Nicole Maliotakis. She represents all of Staten Island. And part of Brooklyn, which uh, incorporates the area of Bay Ridge and Tiger Heights. She took the seat from Max Rose in a really heated uh, contest. It was a great contest. They were equally matched. Max Rose lost it the day he marched with Black Lives Matter on a precinct in Staten Island. And to this day, doesn't understand why he was wrong for doing that. He has reannounced he is running for that seat. And he is raising money each and every day as a, quote, moderate Democrat. There are obviously uh, Democrats who are supported by AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors. They're licking their chops. It was announced earlier tonight that they're going to steal that district from the Nicole attackers And I'm going to tell you how they do it with one swift uh, swoop of a pen. They are adding into the district and taking away from other pro-Republican Nicole Maliatakis areas in that district. They're taking away neighborhoods, putting it in other Democratic congressional districts where the Republican vote will not have much of an impact. And they're adding on three neighborhoods. Nicole Maliatakis' new congressional district will include Guanis which is a Democrat-socialist area. It will include Park Slope. That's right, the Blasio's neighborhood, a Democrat-socialist area. And it will include Sunset Park, a Democrat-socialist area. So there's the potential that Max Rose might not win a Democratic primary as a moderate Democrat. Odds on, I feel he will. He'll be able to raise a massive amount of money. But a Democratic Socialist of America could potentially win a Democratic primary. That would be better for Nicole Maliatakis. But her district now is slanted heavily towards the Democrats. A lot of people don't realize it. Staten Island has always had more registered Democrats than Republicans. It's just they have a lot of moderate Democrats with common sense who will vote for Republicans. They did it for Rudy Giuliani. They did it for Ronald Reagan. They voted for Al Gore over Bush 43. That's right, because it's predominantly Democrat in Staten Island. Although the numbers for the Republicans have been increasing, Uh, people, instead of fleeing uh, the five boroughs who are Republicans and putting up the for sale signs, they put a for sale sign up and they move to the south shore of Staten Island. That's sort of like the last draw before they do the hop, skip and a jump down the Jersey Shore to Manalapan. And then all of a sudden they're out to Florida if they're Gentiles. If they're Jews, they do the hop, skip and a jump. And the next thing you know, they're in Lakewood, New Jersey. This is going to be a tough race. We all got to coalesce around Nicole Maliotakis. I know some of you are pissed off at her because she was one of the few Republican Congress people who voted for the uh, legislation that was dealing with infrastructure. Look, I I supported her on that. I supported the guy who uh, replaced uh, Peter King out in uh, Long Island who voted for that. You cannot allow that vote because uh, former President Trump in the waning hours of that debate said to the Republicans, you shouldn't vote for that just so that Joe Biden would not be able to bust his buttons and bridges with pride about getting through a major piece of legislation. You cannot hold that against Nicole Maliotakis. It is the only Republican congressional district in the city of New York. She won it fair and square against a strong opponent, Max Rose. He is not a weak candidate. He can raise a lot of money, Afghan war veteran, moderate Democrat. His only mistake was he marched with Black Lives Matter on that precinct in Staten Island, and he paid the price. He lost his seat, and rightfully so we got to get out and support it. Go to the Nicole Maliotakis website if you can contribute to her effort, if you can volunteer. we got to start now. You know what it's going to be like going door-to-door in Park Slope, in Guanas, in Sunset Park. They're all Democratic Socialists of America. They hate America there. They're not patriotic. They don't fly flags. They burn flags. This is going to be tough. We lose that congressional district, and then every congressional district representing New York City will be controlled by the Democrats, some of them by the Democratic Socialists of America, the acolytes of AOC all out crazy Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I got to let you know now I was there for Nicole Malietakis when she first ran. Nobody thought she could win the assemblymanic district of Shelly Silver's girlfriend. Yeah. That was his girlfriend. Big piece in the New York Post today. She's a model now. Oh, look, she's a good looker. Rides a Harley motorcycle. Came out of Indiana. She was a Hoosier. Uh, ended up winning an assemblymanic seat here because Shelly Silver, the Meyer Lansky of Democratic state politics, now dead from greed, backed her lock, stock, and barrel because, obviously, she was a uh, friend with favors. That was his Kumada. He had another gulmata, too. I'll talk about that on another occasion. I know a lot about Shelley Silva. She destroyed this woman and won that assemblymanic seat. And now she's the congresswoman, and she's under attack. They're salivating to take that seat. So I don't care what neighborhood you live in, whether you're in the five boroughs, you're in surrounding areas in the tri-state area— this is this is like uh, in organized crime where you you hit the mattresses, you stir the marinara sauce. Uh, what would have been a district in which she would have been normally ten points up and the favorite, she's now going to be ten points down, and it's she's going to be the challenger in a district where she is the congressperson. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, we can't wish this to be. We got to fight for what we know is right. She has served the community. So well, that's the Congresswoman. You see her constantly. She's taking on uh, Joe Biden, protecting the police, was out there. I remember in Bay Ridge when Black Lives Matter was attacking Marty Golden and all those that were supporting the police. When it wasn't popular to do in the summer of 2020, she was out in the streets supporting the NYPD back in the blue. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Josh in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Josh.
10: Hi, good good evening. Um, I have a suggestion to make. Uh, Maybe we can improve um, what's going on in the city by introducing courses in the uh, intermediate schools and high schools called Conflict Resolution. How to resolve conflict to be able to identify what you want and what the other person wants, and be able to discuss it and negotiate without having to resort to guns. People should learn how to resolve conflicts peacefully. And if they learn it when they're young, then it's a tool that they can use when they get older.
1: All right. Well, Josh, that's a very good idea. There are programs that deal with conflict resolution. But let's say, Josh, uh, that a young man in your area, Brooklyn, or a young lady, because increasingly more young ladies are caught with guns, uh, uh, you know, loaded or unloaded, they haven't used it in a crime yet, they haven't pistol-whipped anybody, they haven't shot anybody, mm-hmm. y- you would think the old-school way would say, hey, look, if you walk out in the street with a gun, a loaded gun, you haven't pistol-whipped anybody or shot anybody or killed anybody, you get a mandatory year in jail. Would would, would you agree with something like that?
10: I don't think so, no. I well, don't well so. explain explain to me why not. If they, have the, if they have a permit to have the gun, why oh, no, should no. they get...
1: Well, they won't. Remember, they're teenagers, so they're, well, more okay. than likely, they, they, there's, there's just no way they could have okay. possession of a legal handgun.
10: Fine. So I'm really not familiar with that, but again, the per- point that I wanted to make is education, to be educated yes. to people yes. in order to be able to negotiate peacefully and get away from guns. Yes. Guns don't I... solve problems. They You're... cause more problems... And they hurt both the shooter and the, and the one who, you know, gets it. You're absolutely
1: right. And there are those crisis intervention programs. Not enough of them. So I would say, mm-hmm. yeah, we want to fund fun more. Not midnight basketball. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, that didn't work when Bill Clinton uh, was uh, president. But like in your borough of Brooklyn, you have more gun cases, more shooters, because you have the borough with the largest population. Eric Gonzalez is the DA there. If you're caught with a gun, first-time gun bust, no violence used, you don't get locked up. You get assigned to a diversion program where you come in once a week, they give you cookies and milk, and they tell you for an hour why you shouldn't be carrying guns. Uh, Would you agree with that?
10: I guess, again, if it's an educational aspect, that's fine. Now,
1: now, now, Josh, let's just say it's your neighborhood and this young man was menacing you with a gun. He didn't shoot you. Uh, okay. He didn't pistol whip you, but he menaced you. Uh, do you think uh, he should at least do a year in jail? Or would you want to sit in that diversion program uh, and do what they call rehabilitation of him where you as the victim, you get to tell him how this was bad for you, how you now have nightmares, you're traumatized, you're thinking I of un- moving.
10: Correct. No, I understand that. that. That's not really a good situation. Oh, well, now, hold on. Why?
1: Why? Because it affected you, Josh?
10: No. Again, anyone who is negatively affected by uh, violence is uh, is going to suffer. First. All right. And-
1: no, no, no. Uh, crisis intervention extraordinarily good. We can't have enough of it. Anger mm-hmm. management, Josh. I mean, yeah, I've well I've had anger management issues. You know, I used to mm-hmm. make up a list uh, when I was a kid. I would write down all the people I wanted to kill that day in organized crime, and some of my teachers said, Curtis. You know, you got 12 people down on the list. Crazy Vinny, crazy Sal, crazy Joey. Mate, let's start by just eliminating some of them first. You know, slowly we begin mm-hmm. to call the list. that That's good, Josh. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. All right. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. I appreciate it. Thank you, Josh.
10: Thank you for listening.
1: Oh, anytime, anytime. You see, we don't cut off these callers. Josh was making good points. Again, menzi menzi poco polka, polka. He was more like Eric Adams there. He giveth and he took. But when I put him in the situation of possibly being victimized, he was righteous enough to say, "Well, no, no, no. That's that's a little extreme." <laughs> the guy is going to have a diversion program. He menaced me with a gun. He didn't pistol whip me. He didn't shoot me. But now you want me to sit in a room with him and feel his pain? <laughs> Understand why? Oh. You got to understand why I aimed that gun at you and I called you blankly, blank, 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 blank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the route that AOC uh, wants you to go. That's the route that Caban, the new city council person in Astoria, wants you to go. In fact, they have a term for it it's uh, restorative justice. You need to restore the character of the guy who menaced you with a gun, restorative justice. And in the meantime, you'll feel better because now you'll have a chance to actually sit in kibitz with a guy who intended to do harm for you. Let's go to Joy in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joy.
11: Yes, hi, Curtis. I disagree with you a little bit on Nicole Maliotakis. I was a very uh, active supporter of hers. But one of her her first acts as a congresswoman was to... um, uh, go against the Republican leadership and vote to censor uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, she didn't, you might not agree, you know, you don't have to like Marjorie Taylor Greene or agree with all her positions, but the right route to have gone was to, she should have gone to the leadership, gone to Mc, McCarthy and expressed her her displeasure. All right, well, but not Joy, so let, me, let, me take a,
1: let me take a time out and actually uh, do for you what I had just discussed, a diversion program, Joy, uh, whatever you think of Nicole Maliotakis, they have just carved up her district, Joy. I
11: understand that, and you make a very, very good right. argument. So you
1: you, you got to forgive and forget that in order to keep her as a congresswoman because— but
11: You know what? She was very arrogant about it because she said exactly that from the very beginning. She said, oh, are you going to ju- judge me just on, on one decision that I made?
1: Yeah, but, but, but Joy, understand. And that was
11: early on in her. I know, in her... I know
1: but, but Joy, the, the, we'll lose her seat and then we'll have no voice in the city of New York. None. Joy, And you, it, it may not I even be. I understand,
11: but she should apologize. She should, apologize should, to she, the voters. should her she go. Her constituents on, are very upset.
1: Should she go on an apology tour of her district?
11: Yes. Do a mayor Mayer- Copa,
1: mayor Copa. <laughs> yes, mayor ma Copa.
11: <laughs> I do think so. She she doesn't she doesn't um, appreciate her supporters.
1: No, 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 look,
11: because after it, she was elected, I wrote to her and I didn't get any response. Oh no, they,
1: they, Not, that's, that's the that's cardinal stand of politicians. You mean your letter found its way to the round filing cabinet, the so trash probably, basket? Yes. Oh, you look.
11: Shouldn't have,
1: Joy. I will do a personal intervention here. Uh, (laughs) I've had a relationship with Nicole that at at times, just like you, has been up down and all around. Although I I do appreciate the fact she supported me wholeheartedly for mayor. But, Joy, we got to put aside these differences. If we don't have Nicole Maliatakis in the House, we will have bupkis. We will have ugats. You not, may not even have Max Rose, a uh, somebody, an right. acolyte it's, of uh, AOC, it, might win that district.
11: You're right. It's a big concern.
1: Okay, so I want. What do you, you
11: think of a primary? No. Okay.
1: I'm not going to primary her. Okay. No way.
11: Not you personally, but
1: oh, you mean you know. another? Well, that's happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, the Republicans in Staten Island. I got to give them credit; they gave me their nomination, which uh, moved me towards winning the Republican. Uh, nomination and crushing Fernando Mateo. The other chair people didn't want to give it to me, only Brooklyn. Uh, So Staten Island and Brooklyn, not Manhattan, not the Bronx, not Queens. They didn't coalesce around me. But I will tell you this. uh, If you have a primary out there, and there have been many primaries before, you may have remembered uh, there was Dan Donovan, my friend. He was a sitting congressman. And then there was Mikey Suits. Remember Mikey Suits? Michael no, Grimm.
11: I do remember. Don? Yes.
1: Yeah. but Michael right. Grimm had right. been the congressman, got into right. trouble, did federal time, couldn't vote, but could run for Congress. He primary Dan Donovan and then Dan Donovan was like depleted. So when Max Rose came along, you know, Afghan veteran, moderate Democrat, hated right. de Blasio. Uh, Donovan got beat. Max Rose got in. Nicole Maliatakis took it to Max Rose. So, hey, look, I support primaries. I totally support primaries. And the Democrats will have a primary. Max Rose is not going to all of a sudden just have a clear path. The DSA, the socialists, will run a candidate against him and might win. They know how to turn their membership out for primaries. That's why moderate Democrats are afraid of them. I look at the vote tallies. By 12 noon on a primary day, the Democrat socialists, the loyal apparatchiks, all their votes have been filed. Their people get out and they vote before they either go to work or collect their welfare checks. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No
0: No one one. knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep them going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes
5: me wonder how I keep them going under.
1: Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. They're owed from the Bronx in 1982, three years after I started the Guardian Angels there. Their description in this great rap song is true today as it was true back then. And uh, we got to do—we uh, we've got to rectify this or this city. This city will continue to fall into the abyss. And many of you continue to call it the greatest city in the world. It's not now. Look around, look around, look at the homeless, look at the emotionally disturbed, look at the fact that women, especially women, are afraid to take the subways. They're having to take reverse mortgages to take Uber or Lyft. The nightclubs are dead, restaurants and bars dead because of these stupid mandates. And the politicians have crippled us. And unfortunately, Eric Adams, our new mayor, is continuing on with what de Blasio has done with these mandates. You look at the new figures. The restaurants in Manhattan and Brooklyn crushed. No reservations. 60% vacancy in the restaurants. You walk in on a normal day, especially the weekend. Even the Chinese restaurants, you know, Jews would always go and eat Chinese on Sunday nights. You know, the old chop suey joints. They're empty. They're all empty. And they may not come back. I'm already looking at all the lease signs, the rental signs, the out-of-business signs. Every week it grows because this is the beginning of the year. And if they, they don't have a lease, they don't have a rental agreement, that's it. They're out of business. Our number is one 800 That's one Let's go to Jim, who's calling us from Maryland. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Thank you, Curtis. Appreciate you taking my call. I have a uh, solution. It's a little bit different than your
7: caller, Josh. Okay, the police, the police, uh, uh, they find, I mean, they know these kids running around with guns and they know people that are out on no bail. And what I think they should do in plain clothes, like three o'clock in the morning, is go visit these people, knock out a couple teeth, break a few bones, tell them this is just the beginning. If they don't straighten up, they're going to get worse.
1: Jim, I got I to tell you, it's uh, because of that old school mentality that you have. And trust me, that, that was part of the old school mentality. Uh, you give a beat down. Uh, to those that you know were miscreants, uh, were predicate offenders, even if they happen to be teenagers, but that's old school ways and Jim that that's not gonna not gonna work now, although I, I do fault the mayor because he keeps telling this story. It really bothers me uh, when he uh, got sworn in and he did the right thing, he was on the move first day he was over at the hundred and third precinct in Jamaica. It's a busy house. He spoke to uh, the group of officers who were going out on duty, uh, who were getting their instructions from the desk sergeant. Uh, They were doing their uh, morning to afternoon tour. And he was uh, raising their morale, saying, I got your back. But then he had to tell this dumb freaking story that's part of his narrative. When I was a kid, I got arrested with my brother. They took us into the basement here in the 103rd Precinct in Jamaica. And they gave us a beatdown. And uh, every time I tried to urinate for the next day or two, I was uh, urinating blood. He tells the woe is me story. Woe is me. Uh, What did you get arrested for, Eric Adams? Uh, He never said. And then finally, the truth came out. Him and his brother were steerers for a stripper slash hooker who had broken her leg steering in the street, steering customers to her. Uh, They clearly were not being paid to the level that they felt was commiserate with their steerage. And let me tell you, uh, they were getting paid not just in money, but when you do that for a prostitute, sometimes you're getting a shot of leg yourself. Especially when you're a young whippersnapper, all of a sudden it's like you died and went to heaven. So Eric and his brother thought they were entitled to more money. So when the stripper was back doing the pole dance, uh, they did a home invasion of her apartment. They got caught in her apartment, right? Now he's a teenager at the time. He said he, he didn't get paid for the groceries he delivered to her. Now, anybody believes that nonsense? He He, he was like a... He was like a selfless servant buying groceries for a stripper slash hooker who had broken her leg, right? Really? Oh can I buy you groceries? Bull feathers. So he ended up doing like a day in spot for a day and a half, and you would have thought it was scared straight. Oh oh my I was traumatized. And, and then he says that he had seen a black sergeant at the 103rd Precinct stop the white cops from beating him up. And he said, wow, this is the one place where you could be a black guy and you could tell white people what to do. And I wanted to be a cop. Does anybody believe that crap? Yes. Liberals, progressives, they wrote about it over and over. I said to the people early on, that didn't happen that way. The guy committed crime. He went to Spotsford for a day and a half. I got locked up 76 times. I ended up doing time in Rikers in the dormitory in a, in a cell and then sometimes they say hey man he can't be in general population they want to kill him so they put me in solitary confinement you know what that was called punk city protective custody and a lot of people who were snitches welcome being in solitary confinement they you see here for me Curtis cuz I've been through this i know how to separate the nonsense from the reality so just admit it eric and stop demonizing the cops, making them feel like they all were giving poor little kids beatdowns in the basements of their precincts uh, for things. that Now, that was old school ways. There's no doubt about it. I remember I uh, beat up two cops, right, undercover cops. It was right when street crime had started. 71 was when street crime started. They started putting uh, cops out there, mostly all men at the time, uh, undercover. And I was pumping gas at Rocky's uh, Shell Station. I had been kicked out of high school by the Jesuits at Brooklyn Prep. They had shined their boots on my backside, kicked me to the curb. And I never looked back. I started working, pumping gas at night. And I remember there was an apprentice there. The shop was open during the day, closed at night as part of the gas station. He had the keys to a van that he was working on with the master mechanic. And he took it for a joyride. He's riding around the streets of Canarsie. The cops stopped him. They put him on the hood. These were the undercover cops. They looked like rogues. They looked like thugs. Some of the kids in the neighborhood on their bicycles said, Curtis, Curtis, uh, they got Vinny on the hood. They're, they're robbing Vinny. I go running down there. I see these two guys. They got him stretched out. You know, They're, they're, they're definitely working him over. And then I jumped down, and I beat them up. And the next thing you know, a wave of blue was all over me from the 6-9 precinct. They busted my collarbone. They They broke me in half. They locked me up. I go before the judge at 100 Skimmerhorn Street after going through a cold street for arraignment. And the uh, prosecutor saying, man, hey, kid, you may end up getting a year in jail. You beat up two cops. Man, that wasn't looking good. My own legal aid attorney saying it's not looking good, kid. I like it when they call me kid. Even now I'm 67. They call me kid. So I go home, and I gave the bad news to my mom. My dad was a merchant seaman away at sea eight months of the year. He was home for—he took early leave from the ship. I didn't know what he did. He took a job as a carpenter working extra time with Joey Cheech, the Cheech from Howard Beach, my cousin, who had a construction firm. My dad was a master craftsman. And unbeknownst to me, he had borrowed from the mob that he hated like I hated, $10,000. You know what it was like— to borrow $10,000, the point on that money, the points on that money, the VIG, in like 1973, 74, th- figure that. And then he walked in to the Thomas Jefferson Democratic Club on 92nd Street and Conklin Avenue run by Meade Esposito. There were three organized crime groups in Canarsie at the time. The Lucchese's of Paul Iverio from Goodfellas. Uh, There was uh, Paulie Castellanos Gambino's on 92nd uh, and Avenue L. And there were the Democrats uh, right there in the Thomas Jefferson uh, uh, Democratic uh, Party headquarters run by Meade Esposito, who, that's right, went to jail for corruption like so many of them did. My dad gave him $10,000 to fix the case. I didn't know that. Next time I showed up, I'm ready to, you know. Pack a bag. I'm I'm going upstate for more than a year. You see, if you got less than a year, you do time on Rikers. More than a year, they ship you upstate and beating up cops. Ooh, wow! Ah, that was a major crime back then. All of a sudden, they were so nice to me that if I was a diabetic, I would have insulin shock. The judge said, "Oh, Mister Slee, it's so good to see you. You're such an outstanding young man. We've learned about your background since you were last before me." And all of a sudden, the ADA of Eugene Gold, who turned out to be a perv, uh, the district attorney's office, turned to me and said, yeah, we've had an epiphany. Curtis, you're an outstanding young man destined to do great things in your life. We're not going to file any charges against you. We're dropping all charges. The legal aid lawyer looked at me, said, no problem. The two cops said, I, hey, hey, man, I, I, I beat him up pretty good. They said, no problems, Curtis. Years later, my cousin Ralphie tells me, my, my uncle Ralphie tells me, you know, your dad, stand-up guy, he borrowed 10000 to get you out of that jam. He paid off the Democrats, Mita Esposito, Stanley Fink, Tony Genovese, the Democratic Club of Crooks uh, on Conklin and 92nd Street. And he had to work job after job to pay off the VIG. He did that for you. You got a great father. Oh, man, he was. I never knew that. And you know what they did? They took the $10,000. They pieced off the judge. They pieced off the ADA. And they pieced off mostly the two cops. Gave them $5,000. They split it $2,500 a piece. And it just went away. If you look on my record now, it doesn't even exist. It's like I never got arrested for beating up two cops. See, it's like Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. The corruption, so deep. That's why I worry about Eric Adams. He was birthed in that crooked Brooklyn-Kings County Democratic machine that still takes his marching orders from the leaders of the Thomas Jefferson Club on 92nd Street in Conklin in Canarsie. Ugh, they're crooks. I know it. I grew up with them. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Big Julie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Big Julie.
3: Curtis, I've been listening to you all night. You're great. Uh, listen, i got to make a comment on this gun stuff with all these young kids. We're in a technological world. They can scan you from a distance in the man van, and they can have a scanner in there to see if you're packing heat. And if you do pack heat and they can see the vision of a pistol on you, why don't they pass a law that they're allowed to do it without a stop and a frisk? But if they see something on you through one of these technological vans, what they got, they use them for bombs overseas and everything. Why don't they use it? And I know they have it in the city of New York. Yeah, well, well, now, it,
1: now big, big Julie, to Eric Adams credit, they have not only that technology, which was introduced into the police department, but Bill Bratton, but he was. Uh, told you can't use that because there were so many pending potential lawsuits to that because it's like an X-ray of you as you walk down the street. They also have facial recognition technology that Eric Adams has said he will use. But I guarantee you he may not pull the trigger on that because uh, all these progressives and liberals will run to court, uh, especially legal aid, uh, New York Civil Liberties Union. They'll file preemptive lawsuits not to use facial recognition technology, which is great, especially when we get these freaking masks off our face.
11: <laughs>
1: because right now it's a bandit's delight. All these thugs love it. They can walk around with guns. They're not going to get arrested. They got masks on their face. You know, it used to be the old days, the, uh, the desperados, the bad hombres, as Trump would say, would wear masks when they were just about ready to go into a bank and rob it. Now right. everybody's got a mask on.
3: Right. But you know what? Then They need to change gun laws for us
1: then, because if that's what they're going
3: to do, we need to fight more so that we're allowed to pack iron.
1: Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, Big Julie, a United States Supreme Court decision will be released any day about the right to carry when you come and visit New York State, if you have the right to carry from the state that you're in. Right now, you don't have that right. You can be arrested. Let's say you're going through the TSA, Checkpoint Charlie. You have a right to carry in, let's say, Virginia. And you forget, you you got the gun on you, and New York does not honor that right to carry. Uh, The United States Supreme Court is going to rule on that, and they will probably rule you have the right to carry in New York, which will open up more carry permits, it should, for residents of New York. And watch. Eric Adams and the rest of them will have a heart attack. They'll say, oh, my God, we're going to be in a crime crisis. No, you won't. No, you won't. And then the other thing I have to fault Eric Adams for, because he said some good things, but for every good thing he says, there's that medse medse poco, poco. He says a bad thing. In the midst of the week that we buried police officer Rivera, and we will now bury police officer Mora, he introduced the concept of having cops be forced to live within the five boroughs, not the cops who are presently uh, uh, on board, the 36,000. No, no, they're grandfathered in. But he wants legislation that, you know, the city council will pass that will say any future classes of police officers will have to live within the five boroughs. So first off, uh, how are they going to find any affordable housing? In the first five years that a police officer is making money without overtime, it's like forty thousand dollars. Take out the taxes. And you now know why a lot of the men and women are sleeping on the Castro convertibles in the living room of their mom and dad's house. They can't afford to have their own apartment. They certainly can't afford to have their own house. First five years. And that's why they flee to Orange County, to Putnam. That's why they flee to parts of Nassau and Suffolk, because not only can they get a more affordable apartment, they can actually buy a house with a little bit of acreage, with a better public school system, a better quality of life, and they're willing, they're more than happy to drive two hours one way, two hours the other way. And that's legal. They can do that. This has been tried before, suggested before, and at one time cops had to live in the city of New York. There's a problem with that. First off, they're not all going to be spread out living in different neighborhoods. And they can't live in the precinct that they patrol. That's double trouble. They're all going to be in the South Shore of Staten Island (laughs) living out in Tottenville. This is crazy. Why would you introduce this on a day that we're burying, a week that we're burying, Two hero police officers. And I think back, I say to myself, hold on a second, hold on. How quickly they forget. It was just uh, a year ago. It was, uh, I believe, in May of a year ago. I know because I was at the uh, the wake of the hero police officer who was uh, Greek, Highway patrol officer, he was out there on the LIE near the Francis Lewis Boulevard exit at 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, The police were out there because there had been a DUI incident uh, earlier uh, that had tied up traffic and they were directing traffic. And then as he was directing traffic, uh, an African American woman from Hempstead who just before she got in her car impaired with a suspended license, had posted on her social networking anti-cop postings, cop hateful rhetoric. And she slammed into this police officer, and he flew in the air 100 feet. You know how fast she was going? to knock the cop 100 feet in the air, and upon impact, he died and passed into the hereafter. Great Greek-American. How many of you remember his name, huh? You remember Rivera more, as you should, and never forget that. What was the name of that NYPD highway police officer, Greek? I went to the Wake in Suffolk County. To his credit, Andrew Yang went. We were the only two who went to either the Wake or the funeral. There was no Eric Adams. It was none of the other Democratic candidates running for mayor who went to either of those events to honor that hero police officer. Fernando Mateo, who I crushed in the Republican uh, primary, he didn't go. That was uh, just a year ago. What happened? What happened to the memory of that hero Greek-American police officer? And do you even remember his name? Of course you don't. Of course you don't, because it was in the aftermath of the summer of 2020 where you had Black Lives Matter and Antifa vilifying cops, attacking cops, graffiti placed everywhere. F the police. All cops are bastards. ACAB, all cops are bitches everywhere. And the graffiti stayed up. De Blasio never removed it. And city council members were out there in support of Antifa and Black Lives Matter and Eric Adams was painting Black Lives Matter in the streets of New York City every day with Bill de Blasio. Uh, How quickly we forget, huh? Look, uh, our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. What was the name of that hero Greek-American police officer who was laid to rest in Suffolk County, who lived in Suffolk County? And the reason I mention that is that Eric Adams, uh, during this week, solemn respect for all police officers, thousands turned out, introduces the concept of forcing them to live in the five boroughs. Oh, that cop who lived in Suffolk County, he wasn't brave? It made him less of a cop because he lived in the suburbs? What was his name? Oh, you don't even remember his name, do you? How quickly you forget and everybody forgets. one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 That's one eight hundred eight four 848 wabc And then this was the week... In which Foster and Lori were honored, who were executed in the Lower East Side, 9th Precinct. Uh, The police commissioner did a good job. She attended the commemoration with the remaining family members. I used to live in that neighborhood. Nobody commemorated them. A lot of them were cop-haters, the Lower East Side. They were executed by the Black Liberation Army, led by Joanne Chesimard, a.k.a. Asada Secure, who fled to Cuba behind the sugarcane curtain of Fidel and Raul Castro, friends of Bill de Blasio and Charlene McCray. That's where they went for their honeymoon. And she's there to this day. Public enemy number one. And that was the inspiration for Black Lives Matter. Asada Shakur, Joanne Chesimart, one of our own, who went on to help kill cops in other jurisdictions, including the state trooper in New Jersey that led to a trial. Eventually, she was found guilty. She was incarcerated at Clinton. And they sprung her. She did a jailbreak, went to Pittsburgh. They ferried her to Cuba. She's been there ever since saying, F you to all of us and to cops. And you don't even remember the name of the Greek-American hero police officer who was killed a year ago that Eric Adams and everyone else didn't even go to their their way. Only Andrew Yang, to his credit. And yours truly, Curtis Lewa, Huh? How come you forgot all about him, huh? Oh, oh, that's right. It was too close to the summer of insurrection, too close to the rioting, shooting, and looting of Black Lives Matter and Antifa, and you didn't want to be identified with the NYPD then.
0: No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lee And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
1: Neil Young. This is a song, like many songs, that he sang solo. Southern man that Al Gore claimed was dedicated to him not. Just like Al Gore said he invented the internet not. Just like he said the love story was based on uh, him and Tipper Gore when he went to Harvard not. So mostly it's not. Southern Man was not dedicated to Al Gore, nor Old Man, that was dedicated to all of us who are AARP, but this is the classic Neil Young song, a Canadian pumping up there. I see a woman in the night, with a baby in her hand. And now we have to decide... Who are we going to side with? Neil Young, who has pulled his playlist from Spotify. And, oh, yes, Joni Mitchell. She was drop-head gorgeous, blonde, folk singer, from Canada also, just like Neil Young. Had a relationship with Neil Young for a while. who's was part of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, CSNY, one of my all-time favorite groups. Joni Mitchell, who wrote the song Woodstock. Remember that famous song Woodstock that was uh, played in the documentary after the summer of 69? She wrote it. She couldn't attend. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young sang the song. She also has pulled her playlist from Spotify. In defiance of Joe Rogan, who is the number one, obviously, moneymaker for Spotify now. He's anti-mandate. I guess you can call him an anti-vaxxer. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, didn't make that money in South Africa, made it here. Uh, and so many others who've taken sides, Eric Clapton and Van Morrison, who are like on the side of Joe Rogan and uh, Elon Musk. And then there is uh, Neil Young, Shoney Mitchell. There's Geraldo Rivera, who took the back of Neil Young, do you have that cut of Geraldo Rivera? Please uh, check that out, there, Geraldo Rivera. I want you to hear that because Geraldo Rivera, who's of my generation, uh, has decided to throw uh, the enormity of his weight now that he's on the five in defense of Neil Young. Uh, and uh, by the way, the question is, whose
8: side is Curtis Lewa on? So they have <laughs> sided with Neil. They have told Neil Young, "You're off Spotify." Did they make the right decision?
4: I think so. I, I'm for Neil Young. I, I, I'm, my tweet uh, followers are ten to one against me, and I, thousands uh, for Joe Rogan. Uh, just a mere handful for Neil Young, but I, I, I feel that Joe Rogan has given a lot of bad advice to people, and uh, Neil Young is standing on principle. It's costing him a lot of money. Uh, he gets all those royalties. He's got a, you know, a, a list of hits as long as my arm don't ask you to name them. But, uh, he, yeah, I go back with him all the way to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And, uh, you know, he's just a, a great, a great performer. He's a man of principle. He's going to lose money. Uh, Spotify is going to, uh, you know, lose Neil Young and Joe Rogan's going to reign. And I think that your, Advocacy for him, for Rogan, and for people who believe like Rogan is carrying the day. Uh, the polls are swinging your
1: way. Oh. Ah. Rivera has Neil Young's back and Joni Mitchell. He said that before. Joni Mitchell joined in this. Joni Mitchell, by the way, you go to her uh, Wikipedia, you go to her uh, uh, posting, social networking, you see she rocks a red beret now, a supporter of the Guardian Angels. That's my generation. That's 1969. That's the Woodstock era. And I believe in free speech. I love, I despise Joe Rogan. He claims he's from Newark. He's not from Newark, New Jersey. Get the hell out of here. That's like Cory Booker claiming he's from Newark, New Jersey. It ain't happened. I just, I don't like that, that muscle head. Now what am I to do? I mean, I'm Mr. Free Speech Advocate, right? And I get all my electronic dance music hits. That's right. I love electronic dance music at 67 from Spotify. So do I suddenly drop Spotify and join in solidarity with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell? And Arnaldo Rivera. one 800 Whose side are you on, huh? Joe Rogan, Elon Musk. Oh, yeah, yeah, Donald Trump, the former president, he's supporting them too. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Eric Clapton, not the greatest guitar player of all time. Sorry, hate to bust your bubble there. Uh, And then, of course, Van Morrison. They're on one side. The other side, it's Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Geraldo Rivera. It could be Curtis Lewa. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I asked a simple question before we finished out the hour. Everybody now, big cop supporters, right? You turned out in mass as you should have for the funeral, the wake of police officer Rivera. And hopefully you'll do likewise on Tuesday for police officer Morrow 1 to 8 outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, please come to the wake. Uh, I'll be there with the guardian angels as we were for Rivera. It's hard to be there for the funeral mass. It's mostly police, uh, mostly uh, elected officials, especially some of those fake, phony, fraudulent fugazes who are shedding alligator tears when, in fact, they've defunded the police. They're for no bail. Uh, There's a whole laundry list of them. Oh, oh, we have one person. One person who remembers that Greek American police officer of the highway patrol was killed in the line of duty by a young African-American woman from Hempstead who before she crashed into him on the LIE and knocked him 100 feet in the air to his death had posted an anti-cop diatribe on her social networking. let's go to Michael... From the Upper East Side, your turn to be heard here, at WABC, Michael.
5: Yes, hello. Uh, I must confess, I cheated. I looked it up. His name is Anastasco, Anastasios Tacos.
1: Tacos, correct.
5: Anastasios uh, Tacos.
1: Yeah, well, uh, imagine it, Michael. You had to look it up.
5: That's pathetic. I used to, uh, I used to know the names of most of the cops uh, who who perished. Uh, but, um, I had to look this one up uh, but it won 't happen again. I promise you by the way while you uh you have me on the phone i i, I think uh jason Rivera 's widow is a future star after she works through her grief. I do hope you you uh, help her help point her to um politics because she can- she kicked ass through her grief it was everybody was was tearing up she was magnificent yes yes
1: at a time it had to be extraordinarily difficult for her we will always remember police officer Rivera we will always she was a lion
9: yes yes police officer but all right
1: thank you how quickly we forgot police officer Sackles shame shame on you out there you all claim that you, you love the police, you support the police. Did you, in the summer of 2020, when there was rioting, looting, and shooting, when de Blasio and Eric Adams every day were painting in the street Black Lives Matter? Black Lives Matter, the motivation for which came from the image of Joanne Chesh Samard, a.k.a. Asada Secure, who led Black. Liberational Army members in executions of police officers in the 70s with the commemoration of the 50th year of the assassination of Foster and Laurie, Lower East Side, 9th Precinct, Avenue B, 11th Street. I lived a few blocks away when I got shot by the Gattis and Gambinos right there on B and Six. June 19th, 1992, which was featured, by the way, if you missed it, on the ABC TV special. It was me versus Sammy the Bull Gravano versus John Gotti Jr. You got to get it on Hulu. I was getting calls from all over the country saying, Curtis, I can never understand why the Gottis and Gambinos would want you dead, why they shot you five times with hollow point bullets. But after hearing you talk about John Gotti Jr. and Sammy the Bull Gravano, I get it now. You're lucky to be alive. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. But I am consistent. And if you claim that you support the blue, back to blue, you support police. And let's face it. Let's be honest. There are some of you who are members of the NYPD. Some of you are retirees. You don't remember Sackos. You don't. You didn't go to his wake. You didn't go to his funeral. Okay, it wasn't a cathedral. Uh, Could have been at the cathedral in Long Island in Rockville Center. Right near St. Agnes, uh, you know, in Nassau County, no, no, they had it in a Greek Orthodox church. It wasn't a cathedral. But don't use that as an excuse. I took time out of the campaign to go because I always try to go to wakes and funerals of police officers slain in the line of duty. Even though I was at odds with them the first 13 years, I got locked up 76 times when the police were opposed to the Guardian Angels when Ed Koch was mayor. How quickly we forget. Have you seen one editorial, one columnist mention the death of just a year ago of the Greek American NYPD Highway Patrolman? Sackos, you heard our caller from the Upper East Side. He was ashamed that he had to Google it. Look at it. Look at all these callers. None of them knew his name. How quickly we forget. And now all of a sudden, everybody's, oh, I support the police. No, you really don't. Because when they've had their backs to the wall in the summer of 2020, how many of you went out and demonstrated with the back the blue demonstrators? I will tell you there is a young woman under siege now by Democrats, by Max Rose, who used to be the congressman uh, representing Staten Island and part of Brooklyn. Used to be the uh, guy, the go-to guy, Afghan war veteran, right? Moderate Democrat. He's launched an effort to win back that seat from Nicole Maliatakis. The DSA now is licking its chops. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, they just drew the new lines today. They released it because they're trying to get rid of Nicole Maliatakis. They've uh, taken Republican uh, portions of her district away. And they've added on Guanis, Park Slope, where the dope from Park Slope lives. You know how progressive that is. De Blasio land and Sunset Park, which is DSA land, Democrat Socialists of America. In a race in which she would have been the favorite for re-election, the midterm elections, where there will be a tsunami of Republicans winning. She was 10 points ahead, favorite. She's now 10 points behind. As the sitting congresswoman, she was out there in Bay Ridge when Black Lives Matter was attacking Marty Golden, the former police officer, former state senator, attacking the supporters of the men and women in blue. And no arrests were made. They got away with it. She was out there. Where was Max Rose? He was supporting Black Lives Matter as they marched on the precinct in Staten Island, huh? And he was a moderate Democrat who hated de Blasio. By the way, hated Dolan, who owns the Knicks like I do, a Knick fan, to his credit, like Andrew Yang. All three of us. We hate Dolan. You got to do the right thing now. Backs to the wall. Hit the mattresses. Stir the marinara sauce. Feel ashamed of yourself that you didn't even remember. The Greek-American police officer knocked 100 yards. 100 feet, excuse me, to his death by a woman who had posted an anti-cop diatribe just moments before. She got into that car and slammed into him on the L I and they say it wasn't a hate crime against police. No, it was just a DUI. Really, ladies and gentlemen, really? You better start looking into yourself and saying, am I really there supporting the police? Am I really trying to do everything that I can for them? Where were you when the graffiti was up and the demonstrators were screaming every day, F the police? You know where Curtis Sliwa was and the Guardian Angels. We were in Soho. You saw the videos battling Black Lives Matter, battling Antifa. I got my jaw broken. Other Guardian Angels were seriously injured. We protected property. We protected product. Because if you don't protect property and product, they come for people. Look at the mess we're in now two years later. Where were all of you hiding? Oh, I don't. All the politicians. I don't know if we really want to take on Black Lives Matter. Oh, no. Look at them, those thieves. Did you see the recent story? Millions and millions of dollars to buy a mansion in Toronto. The Fortune 500 companies folded like cheap cameras. They gave millions and millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter. Where did all that money go? Into the pockets of the leaders. Self-avowed Marxists. It's public. They don't run from the fact that they're Marxists, they're communists, and that the whole reason that Black Lives Matter was created was in honor of of the cop killer, Asada Shakur, Joanne Chesimard, public enemy number one, still behind the sugarcane curtain of Fidel Raúl Castro, protected by the Cubans, and Black Lives Matter was created because of her. And American corporations gave millions and millions of dollars and never asked questions about where it went. And the three women, they lined their pockets. They bought real estate. They bought, yeah, communists who love capitalism when it lines their pockets. How many times have we seen that before from both Democrats and Republicans? Do as I say, not as I do. That's why it's important that I be on the radio. Because somebody has to level the playing field here and stop just floating in the wind. You know, you lick the, your finger say, oh, now I'll be pro-cop. Because these two cops got executed. Oh, see, everyone's coming out in defense of the police now. Now all of a sudden, I can come out of hiding, out of the witness protection program that so many of you were in when you were missing in action. Now all of a sudden, you're pro cop. You say, "Oh, maybe the tide will turn. Maybe the tide will turn." It's not going to turn if we don't keep the pressure on, twenty four seven three six five. Because now they're doing the rope-a-dope. I know these Democrat Socialists of America. I know these cop haters. I know the ones who want to defund the prison. I dealt with them. They're going to hunker down. They know how to organize. They're going to come back with a vengeance. Trust me. And they're going to do it when it's most incumbent upon people to do it at the ballot box. The question is, where will you be then? Talk Radio 77 WABC. Where were you, ladies and gentlemen, when the cops were under attack, when they were under siege, when they were shooting and looting going on in the streets of America? Hiding, retreating, surrendering, saying maybe they won't come for me. Maybe I can just bribe them. Maybe I can contribute to their cause. Black Lives Matter. Meantime, George Soros, taking his millions and millions of dollars and helping to elect cop haters in district attorney positions all across America, and we did nothing. 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 Apathy and indifference has ruled. You thought, oh, I'm law and order. Well, guess what? You got another Soros guy, Alvin Bragg. I want to hug some dogs. I want to turn him loose. And you think he's under siege, right? Governor Hochul said, hey, you better watch your P's and Q's or I'll replace you. And she can. But you think a white woman running for governor of the state of New York, whose complexion is not her protection, is going to replace the first African-American ever elected as district attorney in Manhattan? The most powerful district attorney position in America. Pump that up there. Time to wake up. Stop listening to these politicians, Democrats and Republicans, because they just regurgitate what you want to hear. But when they should have had their tuchuses, their dupas on the line, where were they? These people have fled from our city. Look at this city. God, it's empty. Oh, we're going to revive. We're going to become the greatest city. Uh, what are you going to wish that? You think we're going to wish that? Look, Talk to women who are the majority. Women. They're not coming to the restaurants and the bars. And it's not just because of the mask mandates or the vaccine passports. It's unsafe. They're not going to clubs tonight. And if you don't have women going to clubs... Or bars, you're not going to get the men going there either. They're riding the subways because it's not only the emotionally disturbed and the criminals. It's the pervs who want to walk in front of a woman and want to prove that they don't have erectile dysfunction as they play with their erector set. Yeah, guys, don't worry about that. Women are terrified of that. Terrified of that. We don't get control. There goes our city. And I don't care how elected officials posture. They've got to circle the wagons on Alvin Bragg, the last DA elected by George Soros. And they got to bring him to his knees to the point where he, he signs a, a memo in blood that these are the people I'm going to prosecute. And I don't want to hear a do not prosecution list that all the district attorneys in New York have. All of them. They just haven't publicized them. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Douglas calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Douglas. Oh. But is Douglas taking the code of Omerta? The code of Silencia? Let's flip the script and go from Brooklyn... To John out in Long Beach, uh, which is the home of Bernard McGurk, who will be returning tomorrow and joining Sid Rosenberg at 6 o'clock in the morning. Not tomorrow, actually, in a few hours. The best morning team in talk radio in America. Uh, go for it, John.
7: Hi, Curtis. Yeah, I see Bernie in the gym. He's he's pretty skinny, that guy. He, you better feed him over there, you know? The well, no, no, no. Let, let me
1: just give an update. He's going through what I went through in 2012. Uh, he has stage four prostate cancer. I got to tell you, I, I I lost a lot of weight. Uh, and yeah. he's he's going through his procedures now to get back on track. But he, you don't get tougher than Bernard McGurk, who up in the Monroe Project, South Bronx, as a white guy and survived <laughs> that. He'll survive this.
2: Yeah,
7: yeah. Now, he's always been thin, though. But, uh, yeah, I'm a retired uh, MLS sergeant from the uh, Brooklyn Warren squad, and uh you know i got two points uh, if you want to stop this gun stuff okay because uh, i was a cop in the seven five uh, 14 years still before that the the mopes they don't carry a gun if they know if there's a year they're going to if you get caught with a gun you're going to do time they don't carry the gun the girlfriend carries the gun or any the old they would leave it on the in the garbage can and leave it in the mailbox okay because they knew they were going to do time now they, they carry it because uh, they know they're not going to do any time. Uh, so you make sure mandatory time and uh, they won't be carrying guns. And it's a lot quicker for them to, to react if the gun ain't on them, if they're having a, a beef with the, you know, their corner, their drug corner that they want to uh, own it'll work out a lot better
1: that way well john you have the cred Seven, Five precinct largest precinct in the city encompasses so much of east new york at one time it was called the killing fields from all yes, the murders was. and the uns- you have us
7: 22 minutes we'll give you a homicide that's right
1: that's right i know it well because i grew up in that area but look it is uh overseen by the brooklyn da eric gonzalez who is not under attack as he should be, like Alvin Bragg. You see, at least we know what Alvin Bragg stands for. He he lays it all out during the campaign. We know all about him. Eric Gonzalez, if, let's say, we'll use the 75th Precinct as an example, uh, let's look um, at the projects. Uh, uh, the
7: bank house. That's right. That junior gets out of jail, and where he go? He's got no place to go but back to his grandmothers or his mom's in the project. and. It's the only thing he knows, so uh, it's gonna. It's a constant. It's uh, the circle of life. That's All what right. it is.
1: But let's use the pink houses, or as we used to call it, the stink houses, right near I Times Square stores. Five
7: years. I, I, I handled more jobs in the pink houses than any five housing cops. And yeah. I was NYPD. That was in my sector for five years. So now, Cypress
1: Hills, let's say, that's right, Cypress Hills, uh, you had the A-team. And the Boulevard Houses. Right, you they o- the operated out of there. They, they, they were mad crazy, homicidal uh, yes, maniacs. But now, if a young man, let's say a 16-year-old, he's trying to make his bones with the gang, gets caught with a gun, loaded gun, 9mm, or... Not loaded. He hasn't pistol-whipped anybody or shot anybody, John. Uh, there's no mandatory year in jail. You know what he gets from Eric Gonzalez, the weak, soft, feckless DA in Brooklyn? He gets sent to a diversion program. You know what the diversion right. program consists of, Eric? Uh, John? I
7: don't know. Hot dogs and hamburgers and sodas, probably.
1: Uh, pizza and Coca-Cola, they yeah, sit. Yeah. And, kind and, of-
7: and it's he's eligible to uh, come on to the NYPD still. That's part of it, too. <laughs> they want all of these mopes to still be eligible <laughs> to
1: get on the job. <laughs> You're right. That's exactly what Well, look, what it is. One, one of them just got elected to the Assembly in East Harlem. The guy, yeah. he did time for manslaughter.
7: I saw guys when I was, I've uh, been on a while, and uh, there was older guys and Saw kids that they had locked up on gun charges and stuff, and they were on the job now. Yeah, imagine. That's That's the reason. John, let's let's
1: use you. This is a good litmus test. Uh, The mayor, who says good things, and then right away he follows up with bad things. He says that he wants to fund these violence interrupters. These are mostly former gangbangers, guys who've done time, and ladies. Uh, And then they've told the police that, look, if we find out, that somebody in the street committed a murder, a robbery, a burglary, a rape, we're not telling you, we're not We're not snitching because snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Why would we fund a program
7: like that, John?
1: It's absurd. It's absurd.
7: You know, I used to cover the shelters in Brooklyn in a warrant squad, and I would go there if we had high burglaries in a precinct or robberies, and I would uh, scoop up, uh, get the manifest the day before and get about 12, 14 guys who had warrants and we we'll bring them into the squad to get debrief. And when they're one-on-one with the squad, they love giving people up. And we would close out a
2: lot of cases that way.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize Eric Adams has just announced he's opening up more shelters. More, we thought we had yeah. enough with DeBlasio. Yeah. No, he's opening up more. Half of the single able-bodied men and women who end up in shelters have just come out of jail because their families won't have them back because That's they're right. a hot mess. That's correct. And 90, 95% of
7: them, I used to round them up, and they would, I would tell them, you want to act like gentlemen, I'm going to treat you like that. And 99% of the time, I never had a problem. Just, a lot of them are just people trying to get back on their feet and that type of stuff. And I would always, my guys would tell the judge all the time that they cooperated, and 90% of the time they would just throw the warrant out.
11: Yeah.
1: And, John, by the way, when you went in, you know, you had in the police department The Homeless Outreach Unit, men and women, specially trained in uniform. You know, when de Blasio and city council defunded the department by a billion dollars, it wasn't just anti-crime that they eliminated. They eliminated the Homeless Outreach Unit. These were men and women like yourself. Went into the shelters, went into the streets, dealt with the emotionally disturbed, dealt with the homeless because they don't want cops dealing with the homeless or emotionally disturbed. How crazy is that?
7: Yeah. And and another thing, one more point I wanted to make if if like with the pistols and the licenses and all. Yes. Just get uh when I was uh, I was the uh street narcotics uh, sergeant in the seven oh precinct and my special ops lieutenant was a guy named Banks. And uh, you know, if you get in show me with him, like a lot of the Orthodox did, you could probably get yourself a pistol permit, you
1: know? Oh yeah, now that's uh just to quantify that. This is Phil Banks, uh, who rose through the ranks, was well-respected by Ray Kelly and uh, Bratton. He knew. He knew police work. The problem with Banks. He
7: wasn't a bad guy, though. I'll tell you that. He wasn't a bad guy, but he was a showman. That's what he was. He never gave me a hard time, as long as you got numbers for him. But he, he was a showman. He's an actor. He should be in Hollywood.
1: Well, right now, he is the deputy mayor for public safety. Eric Adams didn't even have a press conference introducing him because he's a hot mess. Uh, he had, yes. along with others back then, they were selling permits for carry permits. Correct. Correct. Uh, he had white shirt, <laughs> white shirt and immunity. Loose. I call it white-shirt immunity. Guys were doing this. It didn't matter if they were black, white, Hispanic, Asian.
7: Right. And And he threw the sergeant under the bus from uh, from pistol license, and a cop got, I think, locked up, and uh, he skated.
1: Yeah, and when he came back, when Eric Adams brought him back and put him in one police plaza because he did all the vetting for Eric Adams of the police promotions, the first thing he did, he walked into – the um, internal affairs division the guy who investigated him who was in charge of internal affairs he looked at him and he said clean out your desk give me your badge yeah, and I your gun that. file your retirement papers now
7: sure sure and when he was the ceo he was the ceo of 83 and they had a, a wanted poster on a the wall there for the whole time he was there uh, for uh, for a uh, I think it was for a robbery, outstanding robberies, and it happened to be his brother, okay? And he walked past that post every every day, and he uh, never realized it's his own brother, never turned him in.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, 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 he's a hot mess. Uh, To his his credit, he knows policing, but he is such a hot mess. In fact, the day... When he learned through sources that a federal judge had signed a warrant so that his phones could be wired up like a Christmas tree, not just his regular cell phone, iPhone, smartphone, but his Motorola Boost phones, the ones you use for a month because you got Kumadas and then you get rid of it, he quit. He knew. And I would bet you he became a confidential informer. That's the only way he escaped indictment. Out of all the qualified men and women in the department, why Eric Adams would make him the deputy mayor of public safety? He's the real person running the police department. Sewell, the new police commissioner, she still hasn't learned the ropes. She got a lot. She got a lot to catch up on. Having led the uh, Nassau County detectives, um, she makes a good public appearance, but in terms of the intricacies of developing policy and strategy and crackdowns. Against gangs and guns. She's a dollar short and a day late. Phil Banks runs the police department and you heard. Guy's corrupt. He can't help himself. Come on, Eric. Let him go. He, You didn't even announce him as your deputy mayor of public safety. He wrote an op-ed in the Daily News appointing himself. What are you afraid of about Phil Banks? What does he know about you that if you don't make him the deputy mayor of public safety, the whole world will know about you? You're a bit of an enigma. There's a lot we don't know about Eric Adams. Uh, He's an enigma. Why is this guy running the police department? I'm not the only one to ask that question. A lot of people have, and you get wolf tickets from brand new mayor Eric Adams who says, that's my guy. I'm loyal to Phil Banks. How can you be loyal to a crook? to run the police department. one 800 848
0: New York's talk station with the king of New York, oh, you know, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
8: Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. See, I am one of and and I like to say hello. Or to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, to the pretty. Yellow, first, I got bang,
1: bang Sugar, Sugar Hill Gang, gang. This is at the very start of the rap era And it wasn't a gang It was about parties, having a good time But not thugging people up Not carrying nine millimeters Not uh, earning your way into criminal history As is the case now in rap music By the way, who is it that's going to be Doing the halftime show at the upcoming uh, Super Bowl Snoop Dogg, are you kidding? The guy did a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles, killed the guy. He's a stone-cold crip. And a jury nullification took place in his criminal trial because people feared that snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. And all of a sudden, witness after witness was brought in by the L.A. County D.A. when they weren't pro-criminal but pro-law and order. And they said, "Uh, sir, did you see uh, Snoop Dogg there? Uh, Aim his gun out the window and do the drive-by. Snoop who? I don't know who Snoop Dogg is. The guy is doing the halftime show of the Super Bowl. You don't think everybody knows, man, this guy is criminal prime time. A crip down to the marrow of his bone. That's part of the problem. It's part of the culture now. Oh, yeah, and these guys, they brag about it. They extol the virtues of committing crime. And it's not like all of a sudden they say, and to you young bloods and you young crips out there, you don't want to be a gangbanger. You don't want to do what I did. In fact, a lot of the young ones say, I could be just like Snoop Doggy Dog, shoot and kill somebody in a drive-by shooting, and then start entertaining the world at halftime of the Super Bowl. Start doing the freak. I said, I'm out of is this insane in the, insane the, in the air brain, air. ladies and gentlemen? Anyway, coming up, you're not going to want to miss it in the 12 o'clock hour, uh, where I get the most response of all the hours that I do on the weekend uh, when WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting. Curtis, it is uh, the Animal Welfare Hour. I'm joined by my wife, Nancy, as you know, animal rescuer. We're going to go through a laundry list uh, of uh, all animal-related subjects, not just dogs and cats, all kinds of animals. Try to come up with some resolutions to it and take your phone calls. And then uh, hmm, then we'll be joined by the Mangaluch, uh, the Mameluke, Frank Marano who will uh, be doing the other side of midnight from 1 to 5 for the next five days, and then I come back and do it all over again with the other side of midnight on the weekends. It's like a tag team. By the way, to Frank's credit, you should all know, he has just scored the highest rating ever of any talk radio show in the overnights here at WABC, ever since we turned from spinning stacks of wax, top 40, number one in the nation, to talk radio. And boy... Uh, that's uh, that's beating uh, some really big time talk radio legends, icons. Alan B. Combs, who did overnights here, we miss him dearly. Passed into the hereafter. He did a great theater of the mind. Nobody did it better than Art Bell. That Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown dominated the airwaves here at WABC. Was born and raised in Paterson, New Jersey. The son of a superintendent who went up, had a conversation with him. Would go up onto the rooftop. Uh, they are up the hill in Patterson, uh, in the uh, uh, first ward, and with his Sony radio, would we'll keep it to his ear and listen to Long John Neville and Candy Jones at WMCA, who perfected overnight radio theater of the mind, and he became the best of all time. Art Bell, he's in the, he's uh, passed off to the hereafter. Guess what, Frank Morano, he obliterated their numbers. Although I feel that because it's based on the seven-day percentage. And I'm a third of that. I mean, think about it. It's Frank Morano, right? Let's have five times four. That's 20 hours. I do five hours uh, early Saturday morning, six hours early Sunday morning. And so that's 11, right? I think that's 33%, right? So I should get a third of that credit, shouldn't I? He doesn't give He gives me Bupkis, Ugats. Anyway, he'll be here at one, and I'll be giving him grief. Uh, in a few minutes before when we uh, leave the animal welfare hour. Anyway, let's go uh, if we can to uh, Richard in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Richard, hello, Curtis. Yeah, Richard. Curtis? Yeah, it's me. It's me. Who you? Who you think you're talking to, Richard? <laughs>
12: Last time we uh, talked was in Flushing. Uh, you were walking down Main Street end of September, beginning of October, from Northern Boulevard, and you told me you were going to be running for mayor, and I said I was going to vote for you. Do you remember?
1: Wait wait, wait, wait a second. Hold on a second, Richard. (laughs) So out of the tens of thousands of people that I met during the campaign, I'm supposed to remember you, Richard, in Flushing, packed with people on Main Street, you want me to be a typical politician and lie to you and say, oh, yeah, Rich, I remember you. I remember our conversation. No, I don't remember it, Rich. All right. Well, anyway,
12: anyway, uh, since you did so well in this district here, Whitestone, College Point, Flushing, Bayside, I was thinking uh, you should run for Congress against AOC in this district.
1: I think you would do very well. Well— that immediate area is not her district. Uh, that's uh, Tom Swazi who's giving up his congressional seat uh, in order to run for governor, a uh, hopeless uh, run against uh, Kathy Hochul. AOC is more over towards Astoria and then across the bridge in the Bronx. That's her district, Jackson Heights, Woodside, part of Sunnyside, that area. But I tell you this, uh, Richard. Uh, As a result of Bayside, Whitestone, College Point, Flushing, I I won the Asian vote in the city, supporting me. Yes. Guess what you're going to get from Eric Adams in return? Uh, Vengeance for supporting me. More shelters. He just announced it today. All those areas that have not had enough shelters, he's going to shove them into your neighborhoods. Get ready for a shelter uh, on a block near you, Richard.
12: Well, there is a woman's shelter that took over a uh, factory building in College yeah, Point. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I protested against that with uh, the uh, College Point community, mostly the Asian community. Yeah. But guess what? You, you're not going to be stuck with one. Richard, you're going to get at least two more. Oh, yeah, Eric Adams laid it out. You know, Bill de Blasio shoved 80 shelters uh, in neighborhoods all throughout the city. And Eric Adams says, uh-huh. And there are a lot of neighborhoods, they don't have their fair share of shelters. And you know what that means? Those neighborhoods, that voted for Curtis Slewa I'll get you, my little pretty. I'm going to be shoving shelters in your neighborhoods real soon. Let's go to Ronald, who's calling from the big C.I. Coney Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronald.
9: Oh, okay. When that top uh, uh, got the Greek top got run over, um, I found, uh, I asked where it's going to be. And it's all the way out in Long Island. I went out there to pay my respects. I actually should have worn my my shirt, my uh, MTA shirt, because I did 33 years on the subway of New York. And uh, I went out to pay my respects. And as I'm walking into the church, I see cops on top of the ch- uh, building of the church. You know, I waved to them. They waved back to me. But I couldn't understand why the people on top of the building so when she did that, I think they must have viewed it as an act of terrorism or something, because I've never seen police on top well, of the building for Well, remember, Ronald, months. I, I yeah. was
1: there along with Andrew Yang, who was running in the Democratic primary. None of the other uh, people running for mayor with was there, including Eric Adams. I guess he didn't have enough time to go uh, pay respects to that hero cop. This was in the aftermath of the riots and the looting and shooting of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They were afraid— yeah. That Antifa and Black Lives Matter might storm the wake and the funeral, believe it or not. Right. And rightfully so, because if you check the social networking, uh, a lot of these uh, enemies of America and cops were threatening to show up at the wake and the funeral.
9: That's why. Okay, so that's why they were on top of the building. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they had to be on the
1: lookout. Uh, you and notice how few people showed up. Regular citizens, Ronald.
9: Well, you had every type of police officer there. You of had course. state police, of course, um, city police, other counties, and I just sat there and I paid my respects.
1: Yeah, and how and many? How it, many other citizens did you see like yourself, Ronald? I seen a lot of uniform people there. Right. Meaning, the citizens were afraid to go, Ronald. You, uh,
9: you know why they were well, afraid. I mean, to go. Other police, yeah, other police officers, uh, like state police. Yeah, of course,
1: that. of course, they're armed; yeah. uh, they could protect themselves. But it yeah. was so soon after the rioting, looting, and shooting of the summer of twenty twenty. Remember, this occurred. Uh, I believe it was May of twenty twenty-one. So almost uh, a year, and look how many people forgot that hero, highway patrol officer, 14-year veteran, Sakos. Uh His wake was at the Greek Orthodox Church in Suffolk County. His funeral was there. Cops turned out, like we saw, turned out, rightfully so, at St. Patrick's Cathedral for police officer Rivera. And likewise, he will turn out Tuesday for the wake and for the funeral mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral for hero police officer Mora citizens didn't turn out. I know I was there. And you know why they didn't turn out? They were afraid. Just like so many citizens were afraid to join the Back the Blue rallies in the summer of 2020. They were afraid. And that's why I believe there has to be a call to common sense and to support candidates who did march in those rallies to support the police Not a year later, not now, back then when the heat was on, when Black Lives Matter and Antifa would show up at these support the police rallies and battle the demonstrators. Yes, battle them. And that's why we got bad news early today that Nicole Maliotakis, the congresswoman from Staten Island and part of Brooklyn Bay Ridge and Diker Heights, has had her her district rejoined by the Democrats that control the process in Albany so that more Republicans are removed from her district. And now she has added onto her district, which are really Democrats, Socialists of America areas. I know I'm in those areas all the time. Park Slope, that's right, friends of Bill de Blasio, the dope from Park Slope. Guanis, the hipster millennial Democratic Socialists of America, And Sunset Park. So in a race that she would have been favored by 10 points to win, especially with the tsunami that's coming in the midterm elections, she's now 10 points behind. Max Rose is already amassing a fortune. The former Democratic moderate congressman there served in Afghanistan. He marched with Black Lives Matter on a precinct in Staten Island. That's the main reason he lost. But he may lose a Democratic primary to an AOC all out crazy Alexandria Ocasio Cortez acolyte, because as you know, the squad hates Nicole Maliotakis, who has taken them on on the floor of Congress. And they will do anything that they can to take that seat. And so a chosen candidate of theirs, Democratic Socialist, might actually beat Max Rose, because they know how to get their vote out in a primary and might actually beat Nicole Maliotakis. you got to go to her website now. we got to help her every way we can. I'm going to help her like I helped her in this previous election, and more importantly, in her first election, to win the assembly seat from the gumada of Shelley Silver, the Meyer Lansky of Democratic state pro- uh, politics, the Hyman Roth of Democratic state politics. She whipped that woman, who was featured in the New York Post over the weekend, that woman's a model now. She came out of Indiana. She was a Hoosier. She wrote a Harley. She's now a model. That was Shelly Silvers-Gumada. You know how much money she had, you know? She had the support of the unions, and the co was able to beat her. I supported her out there. So did Frank Morano. A million to one shot. We're gonna have to do it all over again. Do not take that seat for granted. It's going to be an uphill battle now for M- Nicole Maliotakis. Help her any way you can. Go to her website because now, from being the favorite candidate, she's looking at, like, a deficit here because they, they they wrote the lines to take the seat from her. Let's go to Glenn in Hillside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn.
7: Yeah, Curtis, uh, two things.
12: Number one, uh, we're talking about Snoop Dogg. Hey, he's gone mainstream. He cooks with Martha Stewart, you know, so uh, he's, uh, he's a reformer. And number two is that I did watch that uh, Truth and Lies, The Last Gangster, uh, and you did get some pretty good airtime on that. The only thing is that no mention about uh, John Gotti Jr. Uh, put the word out to uh, to shoot you up in the taxi. I, I was sort of surprised at no mention of that.
1: You're right, but it was a two-hour ABC TV special, seen across the nation. You can now get it on Hulu. Uh, basically, the three main contributors, although there were others, the most of it was Sammy the Gol- Bulgariano, his family of degenerates. Uh, then there was John Gotti Jr. I think in order to get John Gotti Jr., they probably had to make a deal with him that they would not mention the fact that he tried to, to have me killed. You see, I think that was probably the deal, or he probably would not have appeared, which was fine by me, because uh, I was just commenting on the Gambinos in general, on these degenerates, John Gotti Jr., Sammy the Bull, Gravano. And if you notice now, how, how ironic, they don't shoot at one another any longer. They battle each other on their podcast, Glenn. Uh-huh. Their podcast, they're screaming at one another on pod. Well, I guess that's a lot safer than what they used to do when they'd be shooting at one another. Oh, you got to check that out on Hulu. People called me up from all over the country. They said, Curtis... We followed you, you know, you have guardian angels here. We know, we know your story. We never could quite figure out why the mob, uh, the Gottis and Gambinos wanted you dead. After hearing me talk on that Hulu, now you can get it on Hulu, The Last Gangster, they said, now we understand. Now we understand. Yeah. Uh, It was good. And they wouldn't talk about how John Gotti Jr., uh, on the orders of John Gotti Sr. put together a hit team through the Carrazos, Nick and Jojo Carrazzo. Jojo was the consigliere of the Gambino crime family. Little Nick, uh, who ran the family in Canarsie, John Gatti Jr. went to them and said, hey, my father wants this guy whacked. And they said, we'll do it with pleasure. We grew up with this guy. We hate this guy, Slewa. And then they got Ionati, who just came out of the joint doing 20 years for shooting me, almost killing me with five hollow-point bullets. <laughs> He's out there walking about, bragging about it. Hey, you can't touch me. You know, it's like Jake LaMotta and Reggie. You can't touch me, Sleewa. Yeah, hey, pal, if you're listening now, why don't you go for target practice? Unbelievable, these guys. But they're weak now. They've been exposed to kryptonite especially now with legal gambling on the app now. Boy, they've really been weakened. One of the few things they control through the wire rooms. And I think the the most amazing thing in the process is I was so proud of my older son, Anthony. We were at the Third Avenue Festival in Bay Ridge. Uh, This was during the mayoral campaign. Great reception. I spent a lot of time there, although they have a lot of crime there now, a lot of crime. Walking down Third Avenue, I have a group of guardian angels. And these Gambino guys that I recognize stepped stepped up to me on 84th Street and Third Avenue. And they say, Hey, we don't want no rats coming to our neighborhood, you rat. And I say, Yeah, I'm a rat. I eat parmesan cheese. I love Parmesan cheese. And then the leader of the pack came up to me, that's racist against Italians. I said, What are you talking about? Only Italians see parmesan cheese? So they're ready to, like, take out a shiv and stick me right there and bleed me out in front of the crowd. We're going back to back to Guardian Angels, and you know who actually stood side by side with me? Duke's up. My son, Anthony. I, I had forgotten Anthony was there. I look, I would never have gotten jammed up like that if I had remembered that Anthony was side by side with me. But he, he, told-, he told the Guardian Angels, surround my dad. They're going to try to kill him. And he put his dukes up. He's only 18. And the Gambino guys, look, so who's that? And one of the Guardians said, that's Curtis's kid. It's oh, he's a bad seed too, huh? And then all of a sudden, one of the old bulls. The Curtis Lewa Show presents
0: Curtis's art From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa.
1: Wow, what an opening there, Curtis's Ark, can you imagine it, every animal imaginable, every bird, every sea creature who would be on that ark, and actually it would be docked in, uh, right in Sheepshead Bay, right outside of the old Lundy's, as we would head off into Jamaica Bay, and then eventually the Atlantic Ocean through the Kilvancoe the Arctic Hill, through Staten Island, through the Straits of the Verrazano. We would make a, a circuitous trip, almost like Circle Line. And then we would transport those animals out to safety, you know, with all kinds of inclement weather. If, in fact, it's uh, uh, climate change, global warming, and all of a sudden the seas rise up and the, the, the poor animals, you know, could drown. Uh, and I'm going to need the help of my wife, uh, animal welfare activist number one, uh, Nancy, who is an animal rescuer. Is that a possibility we could start building that ark, Nancy, right in Sheepshead Bay?
13: I mean, I, I, I'm pretty skilled. I think I can do that.
1: Yeah, you're a lot more skilled with hammers and a pail of nails and a saw and a screwdriver than I am, that's for sure. If I were to build that ark, it would definitely sink in Sheepshead Bay.
13: Yeah, very quickly.
1: Okay, so now uh, everybody should get a pad and a pen because Nancy's going to give them information how to get in touch with her about all kinds of animal-related issues. But issue number one on the docket is the president, Joe Biden, and his wife, Jill. Uh, In addition to the German shepherds they have, they've actually adopted a cat, correct? Yes, correct. Correct. All right, so give us all the details because... This is obviously an animal-friendly White House.
13: Well, yeah, so I, I, obviously I'm I'm super happy that this is one of the uh, first times that, you know, you have, like, a cat in the White House. Obviously, most of the times it's dogs. And I'm assuming it's because, you know, cats will run and hide if you're, like, in public, you have photo op type stuff. So I think it's easier to have dogs. But so this cat, I, I think... um. From the stories I read, it's like uh during the time that uh uh Biden was campaigning, they were in Pennsylvania, and one of the areas they were at this cat like you know jumped onto stage, and you know allegedly there was like a bond formed, and you know the 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 person who owned the cat said, "Oh, I knew it was like a match made in heaven type of thing so and now, so obviously, the thing is I'm totally happy that it's a cat because." You know, cats have clearly not been in the White House often, but I also think that uh, so far their history with the animals in the White House hasn't been super stellar. And the one thing that really concerned me was they actually categorized this cat as a farm cat. So a farm cat is like, for instance, like the cats that we work with in the Guardian Angels um, Animal Animal Protection, like the outdoor cats, when they're outside, you know, they're accustomed to being outside, so they have that sort of outdoor role. So if this is actually truly a farm cat, they're trying to domesticate it, you know, hopefully they understand all of the ramifications that come with, you know, taking like a quote-unquote feral cat and bringing it indoors. Like, hopefully they'll they'll hang on to it in spite of, you know, the the time it will take to socialize.
1: Now, does the cat have a name?
13: I think it's Willow. Willow. I think it's Willow.
1: And I think that's based on the town.
13: Yeah, exactly. The location, correct.
1: That uh, Joe Biden and Jill were campaigning in, which isn't too far from where your mother lives in Pennsylvania.
13: Yeah, exactly. Correct. So it's like, I mean, again, it's in my opinion, it's I mean, anytime you can bring attention to, um, you know, animals in general, I like the fact that, you know, now, again, it wasn't like, you know, obviously it's it's not a a rescue cat, but that's okay. Um, this cat had a location. So, again, I'm not sure how all this, you know, you know, came about. But, you know, I, I like the fact that at least this cat's at the forefront. And But, again, I, th- I think it's more of just understanding, like, it would be a, a really bad example if they gave away this cat after a bit of time because it, maybe it had, like, you know, again, it's like, you know, if, if it's a farm cat, I think it's going to be not accustomed to being indoors. So it's like I'm just I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Everything works out as it should.
1: Well, you know, Teddy Roosevelt uh, had the most number of pets uh, at the White House. He had pets indoors, outdoors. I think he had like 128 different animals there. Uh, whereas Donald Trump, uh, when he was president, no animals of any type.
13: Now, now, if you had been elected mayor, I think someone had actually put something on Twitter where they said, like, okay, in our current studio, 328 square feet, the amount of cats. And then they sort of extrapolated based on the amount in Gracie Mansion. So we would have had more, actually.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. Plus, dogs in the yard, all those pit bulls who unfortunately get slaughtered in the shelters. I would love to shelters. have
13: dogs. I would love to have dogs.
1: Now, question, a lot of people ask me, the New York Times did an intensive uh, interview with us uh, in our apartment. They couldn't understand how the apartment didn't smell with that many cats. Could you, because this is like a stereotype that exists that if you have a lot of animals, you know, it's going to affect the quality of life in your apartment. You know, it's like the, uh, the image of the cat lady or the, the cat or dog hoarder. How is it you are able to make sure that that apartment never smells like cats?
13: Well, I mean, I think the main reason why um, you would be aware of people owning cats is that, number one, if they're not fixed, that that would be the biggest issue because unfixed cats spray. Now, And then after that, it's just the overall um, cleanliness. So you have to change the litter box and clean it constantly. So, I mean, those are the two biggest issues. You have to be so methodical about, the cleaning, but I think a lot of this stuff with the smell of the animals is usually because people don't fix the animals. So again, not for nothing, I think um, any of these uh, media uh, places that came in, if they would have noticed anything off, you know, right away, that would have been probably the the punchline of their stories. Like, oh my gosh, I walked in, I smell cats. Like, but if you keep it clean and all the animals are fixed, I don't really think there's an issue.
1: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC, our Animal Welfare Hour. Any questions about any animals and all of those who would eventually be put on the uh, Curtis Ark with the help of my uh, wife, the animal rescuer. Interesting, though, the last time that a dog and a cat had to occupy the same space in the White House was not, obviously not with Trump. He, he never had pets. Uh, was not with Barack Obama and his family. They only had dogs. But it was Bill Clinton. Remember, Bill Clinton had Socks, which was a rescue cat. And then he had uh, a black lab named Buddy. And apparently they did not get along at all. They were constantly squabbling. So, when it was their time to leave the White House uh, and they headed to the Love Shack in Chappaqua, the whitest suburb in American Westchester, where even the lawn jockeys are white, he took the black lab, Buddy, but he gave Socks to his secretary, and she took him uh, to a place I think called Hollywood, Maryland. I never knew that that existed. We have yet to figure out whatever happened to the Socks. We know what happened to Buddy, the lab. He tragically ran into the streets uh, from the Love Shack and got turned into a speed bump.
13: I mean, I I grew up, when I was a kid in my household, uh, the dog we had was a Labrador. And their personality, they're so sweet and, you know, very kind and engaging. Now, I don't know what type of um, cat socks was, but again, you know, when you introduce different animals it's like anything. You have to spend time. I mean, you can't just throw them in the mix and think, oh, it's going to work out because it won't like you. I mean, you have to be very conscientious of what's going on and how you introduce them. So my guess would be, you know, that didn't happen. And then the easier thing is to default to maybe the lab because, you know, you know, they have a little, you know, nice personality. And if the cat was, you know, not introduced in the right way, they would be a little standoffish or hiding. So, that that might be the first to go. Sadly,
1: well, apparently, President Clinton at that time did not trust the cat socks because Socks was present when he had his relationship with Monica Lewinsky.
13: Well, you know what, cats like. I mean, again, I think with dogs, not for nothing. I I love I love all animals, but I think dogs are very accepting of any situation. I think when, you know, people think, oh, cats, oh, you know, they're a little bit more difficult. That's because you have to work a little bit more. So if this cat socks didn't trust him, there's probably a reason for it. So it's his fault.
1: <laughs> and suddenly socks disappeared with the secretary. But on a different note, Out of all the cats that we've had that have gone in and out of our uh, apartment, that you've fostered out, that you've rescued, that you've adopted out, that you've gotten back, uh, you've uh, given them mental health uh, 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 convalescence and physical health convalescence, probably the most famous to date is Gizmo, the little kitten that I brought uh, to try to vote with me on November 2nd uh, in the mayoral election was denied access uh, to the polling location. And that Gizmo was on, like, every national show that night, international shows. In fact, Gizmo, she has her own Twitter account, right?
13: Yes, correct. Gizmo Sliwa. <laughs> That's a Twitter account for her.
1: And what so, is what has become of Gizmo?
13: Well, so uh, last week we were very fortunate to find a wonderful home for gizmo um a young man who lives upstate and he grew up with cats and like his parents they have a bunch of cats as well and he was just so excited to you know adopt gizmo so again like you know it's great that you know this this young man wanted to adopt gizmo and obviously we have like a direct contact but yeah you know, i mean gizmo is like obviously like all cats but you know She's very, like, near and dear to my heart because when we got her, she was maybe, like, a week or two old, and she went through the campaign with you, and, like you said, she was denied access to the, like, the voting location. But she's a real trooper. Like, she was in super bad condition when we got her, and she was on the kill list at the um, city shelter, and she had, like, a host of issues, but nothing that you know, you couldn't resolve if you just sort of pay mind to it. So, you know, she was like, you know, she has a special place in my heart because, you know, she was like a solo cat and she, you know, she's been with us for like a, a bunch of months, but I'm so happy she was adopted into a good home.
1: This is amazing. She is uh, one of the most famous cats in the world now. <laughs> Again, how can uh, people communicate uh, with uh, Gizmo Sliwa?
13: Well, yeah, so so Gizmo Sliwa is on Twitter. Um so if you just check that out, um, and if if you need any, like, maybe additional information, you can always reach out to me, Nancy, at GardenAngels.org. But um, Gizmo actually has her own tw- Twitter account, which might actually supersede my followers pretty soon. So I'm a little jealous, but it's, like, good for her. <laughs> but it
1: also shows that our job uh, in rescuing animals, in this case cats, is to get them back healthy, socialize them so that they can live with other cats uh, and then adopt them out and foster them out so we can bring more cats into the house to prevent them from being destroyed and killed at the shelter.
13: You know, and when I look at, like, you know, I did like this little uh, pictorial uh, portfolio of from the moment we got Gizmo until the moment that she was adopted out. And you, you almost forget how frail they are when you get them. But again, it's all resolvable. Like if you, you know, give them the medication. But she just looks so different, and then the way she is say, it's like a few months later, it's like a totally different cat. But they were not willing to, you know, give her some time or hang on or there's no sort of capability for them to care for them as they get better because she was really sickly when we got her, and within a few weeks she was better, and it's like. You know, again, that's the thing. It's like you want to give them time to uh, resolve some of their uh, physical ailments because they really turn into, like, wonderful, beautiful, loving animals. So it's like, I mean, that should really be the priority. Now,
1: let me take you to Greece uh, where they love fish, Uh, you know, because it's surrounded by water. You have islands there. It's... uh, a place of special significance to our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, and his uh, wife, Margot, But what happened there to the fish?
13: Yeah, so there was, um, uh, apparently there was like a cold spell that uh, hit the area uh, near Greece in the past couple weeks. And, I, I mean, I started looking into the story a little bit more. So uh, what what happened is like commercially raised fish, right? So this is, um, you know, fish that are born and bred just to be, you know, basically part of the food chain. And it's like a state-owned type of fish company. And they realize, okay, okay, the temperature is going down. It's unusual. It was like an unusual sort of temperature drop. But what happens is uh, when they have these uh, commercial type of fisheries, they have them in the open waters, but they contain them because obviously they don't want them to escape because they're going to lose their, you know, the money, the, the profit for selling these fish. So, I, I mean, my, my assumption is they had the heads up about the temperature change, but they didn't adjust, um, you know, sort of the enclosures that they had. So this, like, particular type of fish – you know, can't withstand the, the cold temperature drop. And all of a sudden it's like hundreds of thousands of fish wound up dying because of thermal shock because the temperature dropped. So, I mean, again, now this is something that they should have been way on top of and recognized. okay, here's a, a little shift. Something's happening. We need to plan accordingly. And, and the way the story is is laid out, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, it's, it's not on the state that they didn't plan accordingly, and all these, you know, fish died for no reason. And that, to me, is really the bigger story. It's just like, oh, all the fish just died, and you know, woe is me. Like, and this is really, like they should have been mandated to plan accordingly, knowing that this happened. And, and actually, what's funny is like I thought of not funny, but I thought of a curious thing. Like when I was in junior high school. I remember I did a report on the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, and it just reminded me of that. Like, all these people who died in this place because they locked the doors because they didn't want people leaving, these fish could have actually escaped to warmer water, but they weren't able to because of these enclosures. So it's like, to me, that sounds like you should be really holding the state liable. Like, you know, you got to be mindful of this stuff. It's like... This is like another example of animals really not being prioritized. It's like, oh, they're fish, they die. What's the big deal? It's like, no, it's a big deal. They're all living beings. Like, that should be prioritized.
1: Well, you know, uh, amazingly, uh, recently we were at a Greek restaurant, and I ordered uh, the octopus that was on the menu. You looked at me, and if looks could kill, I would have been dead. It reminded me, uh, John Katsimatidis Jr., uh, actually sent out a posting that said he would never, ever, ever order octopus again because of the intelligence level of an octopus. Uh, you made me feel so guilty that night that I said, well, man, that's right. The, uh, how intelligent are octopus?
13: Well, I mean, okay, certainly they are. But again, I think, you know, again, and, and this is why, like, when I speak to people as well, I mean, I don't try to force my, um, like, opinions on people. But I know what I know about the animal stuff. Like, you know, it it took me a while to figure it out and say, oh, I have to be recognizing, oh, these are actually, like, living beings and you should be cognizant of that. So I don't blame people for not having that opinion. I just think that there's probably some, you know, sort of tipping point where they hear it, And then it really just kind of comes together, and they're like, oh, I would rather not do that, because obviously there's tons of other options than, you know, sort of having animals born and raised in these industries. So it's like I think everyone has their moment where it really, you know, comes to fruition where they realize it. So, you know, again, I think the best thing to do is let people know. But, again, when you start thinking about the idea that octopi, they actually do have – This level of recognition, it's like there's a reason why you wouldn't want to be, you know, eating them for that reason. It's like, you know, if if you all of a sudden were, were, were in this position, like you would hope someone would have that level of empathy.
1: Yeah, no, it's incredible. But as you begin to research the octopus, not the squid, but the octopus, they have so many human characteristics. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I would suggest that everyone research that. Uh, I want to give a, a shout-out, obviously, to John Katsimatidis, Jr., who had posted that a long time ago as a young man. He said, I'm I'm not eating octopus anymore. Do you realize how close they are in having a lot of human characteristics?
13: I, I actually, when I saw him a, a couple weeks ago with you at an, at an event, I actually said that to him, that I appreciated that he was so on board with it because, I mean, again, that's something that's really... I'm not sure how many people recognize that type of distinction, but once they do, I mean, again, it's a, it's a total game changer. Like, once you realize it, you know, you. I think that's really the, the thing that makes you not go back.
1: All right. Last week we discussed, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, there was a, a truckload of monkeys that were being experimented on uh, for COVID-19, and uh, some of them had escaped. Uh, some were caught. Apparently, one is still on the lam, on the loose, and they're going crazy in the the state of Pennsylvania. Explain to me the fear, fright, hysteria, and hype that surrounds this escaped monkey.
13: Well, uh, yeah. So I think the the fear and you know hysteria is coming from the fact that the CDC, which is actually the um, organization that uh transported these monkeys from uh Indian Ocean Island this is where they came from so and they're not giving any information on so initially the first reports were these monkeys are being utilized for covid testing which obviously makes sense it's like that that's like the major sort of testing going on but now they're very uh tight-lipped about uh why were these monkeys brought and then why is it that they had to uh, shoot and kill the ones who got out for you know a couple hours, and they're not getting any information about now they're like oh we're not telling you why we were testing them or what their purpose was or where they were going to now this is like a federally funded agency right taxpayer dollars, and they're not telling you anything so I think that's sort of adding to the hype. And so this, this woman, this is, like, the I think where the story came from, like this woman who saw the accident happen, and then all of a sudden these, like, um, different enclosures uh, for these monkeys, they were sprawled on the highway, and she came up, she saw what was going on, She she must have been on the roadway, and she started trying to help. And she said, oh, she thought it was, like, cats. So she just assumed it was, like, cats, something like that. And then after the fact... You know, no one was warning her, like, "Oh, stay away from this place." But then it's like they said, "Oh, yeah, these were monkeys destined for testing, and if you have any symptoms, get in touch with us." But everything's very mysterious, so they're not saying. And again, so these these monkeys, like, think about people who come from, you know, international travel. They have a, a amount of days for quarantine, this and that. All of a sudden, they they grab these, you know, hundred monkeys. From the Indian Ocean Island, they came into JFK, then they put them in little crates in a truck going, you know, like, you know, and and in Pennsylvania it crashed. But now they're not telling you, oh, what is it? She got rabies shots, like, but they're not even telling you what's going on. Oh, and I
1: I remember as a kid, uh, I was hanging upside down trees in the back of Canarsie Cemetery. Uh, The only secular cemetery in New York City was owned by uh, the city of New York at that time and the bats would be sleeping uh, during the day high in the trees because they were nocturnal and would flock out at night. So I'd climb up there. I'd be hanging upside down looking at the bats, studying them. One of them woke up. Uh, They were disturbed by me being there and then bit me. And then I'll never forget, you know, it got all swollen. They said, oh, you got to go to Brookdale Hospital. Uh, And then, oh, you, you could have rabies. They gave me 13 shots in my stomach. Oh, God. That was like horse needles. They say, Oh, you have rabies, oh my God, you'll be frothing from the mouth. They they put such fear in you. There is a monkey who is loose in Pennsylvania. They're more in fear of this monkey than they are of prisoners who escape maximum security prisoners in Pennsylvania.
13: I mean and again, it's like this uh, uh light information on what the purpose of these monkeys were. So I'm seeing all these varieties of stories where, I mean, number one, the CDC, which is again, taxpayer funded, isn't telling you why they shipped them or what their testing is, even though initially they said it was for COVID, but it's like, okay, so why did you have to kill the, the few who escaped? Like, what are you concerned about? And if you're testing them for COVID, like, I'm not sure why there's that level of concern, but... And then there's no follow-up about, again, this is like the lack of interest in animal welfare. Like, if there was this massive accident and these, you know, monkeys were in these enclosures, the rest of them who didn't escape for hours on this highway, like, I mean, it's like if anyone was in a car crash, okay, they would have trauma, something, like, there's no follow-up with animal welfare. It's all about this, like, weird, absurd thing, like, oh, this one escaped monkey, like, no one's concerned about the overall animals. Like, that to me is really well, the problem. Well, let's
1: face it. In this era of Wuhan, uh, animal testing that we know goes on for a variety of reasons, how do we know that these monkeys weren't infected with a uh, potential disease, having nothing at all to do with COVID-19? Uh, there was experimental in nature that uh, might impact on uh, bacteria uh, that get spread throughout the world. I mean, we have governments, our own government, with uh, our CIA operations. I call it criminals in actions. You have the Red Chinese, the Russians, other governments uh, that utilize animals for experiments that have no medical use whatsoever, but rather are used uh, to develop biological weapons uh, for a destruction of the world, if ever it came down to
13: that. Yeah, I mean, which is why it's so problematic. It's like the the lack of information that they're willing to give. Like what's the problem with saying what you're doing if what you're doing is legitimate? Like what is the issue? Like I don't understand. And that's the thing that's a little bit scary. So again, it's like there there is I think this sort of a uh sort of air around this, this issue particularly here. Like this lady said, Oh, she walked up to this uh you know, crash site, and she just happened to look at one of the enclosures and a monkey hissed her. But, again, the, I think it's the lack of information and transparency from the CDC. Like, why don't they just say, oh, why do these monkeys come here? Oh, what are they being tested yeah, on? Well, oh, you, you, you as you
1: know, you're not going to get anything from Fauci. Last, uh, since we're talking Pennsylvania, again, this is a Pennsylvania issue. There have been kidnappers roaming the streets of Manhattan who have been photographed uh, by putting uh, breadcrumbs down on the ground for the hungry street pigeons and then gathering them up in bags, like 50 of them. You know, they basically set a trap. They run off into the vans with Pennsylvania plates, and apparently they bring them uh, to people who would normally shoot clay pigeons with shotguns. Correct. And they don't uh, throw clay pigeons up in the air. They get discharged. They release these street pigeons so that the hunters can shoot our street pigeons there. And this has become a huge issue in the streets of Manhattan.
13: Yeah, I mean, again, another thing that's completely disturbing. um, I mean, this should be, I think um, in 2019, one of the local representatives Um, you know, sort of made it like where, oh, it's a misdemeanor if you do something of this nature. So again, finally, like recognizing, you know, animal cruelty, because again, this is what it is. Like, you know, so, but again, the amount of time that's maybe spent in trying to pursue these people, I mean, I I think it really falls as a a low-level type of offense, but what was so obnoxious about it is this person, like, that, you know, they actually put down the food. So, you know, imagine it's like cold weather. They're attracting the pigeons because they don't have alternative food sources. And then once they start eating the food, they come in and they scoop them out. It's like, I mean, this is something that, I mean, again, I, I understand, like, at this point now, it's like the NYPD technically is tasked with animal cruelty type of cases but, I think they're they have enough on their plate, and there there's a reason why maybe you wanna transfer over this type of um sort of oversight to another agency that would make more sense because they can focus on it and It's important like these people are i mean it's like ridiculous like there's no reason this should happen. And I, I think that. Well, it, well I it, think
1: it, uh, yeah. they figure a lot of people hate street pigeons, so nobody's going to bother to do well, anything. No, but,
13: you know, but, but again, at the same time, it's like it's funny it, in the the stories that we're citing. It's like the, the people saying, like, "Oh, the, the pigeons—they're like they're like New York City residents," and that's the same thing you were saying when you were running for office. Like, make them the well. Uh, I tell you, official bird. Just the <laughs> other the
1: other night when I was on my way home uh a pigeon had crashed into the uh, Best Buy building on 86 in Lexington. It got disoriented. It was on the ground. It was clearly in pain. it was yeah. uh, it was dying. Uh, and so I picked it up and I clutched it and I kept petting it I trying to bring life back to it. And I could see there were a lot of people like, why bother it's a it's a it's a, a rat with uh, with a flying rat with feathers. And it's just a a total disconnect when it came to pigeons. But I I can promise everybody on behalf of the Guardian Angels, uh, you, Nancy, we're going to get into that uh, Guardian Angel uh, uh, animal protection uh, van. And if I see these guys, these kidnappers from Pennsylvania, uh, I'm not calling the NYPD. I'm not going to explain anything else, but they won't be coming to New York City any longer to kidnap our pigeons.
13: I mean, clearly they're the weakest element of society because they're actually luring, you know, these poor animals in with food and then trapping them. So, you know, they're not going to put up much of a fight if you, you know, challenge them.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, trust me, uh, it'll be old school. They'll never come back to New York City again. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's one eight hundred eight four eight wabc
0: The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark. Now, here's Curtis Lewa.
1: Before we go back to your phone calls uh, with my wife, Nancy, this is the most uh, popular hour of the many hours I do over the weekend where ABC uh, stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. Uh, Coming up next will be Frank Morano, who just scored an incredible ratings uh, overnight radio, the highest ever uh, since uh, we've been doing talk radio, beat Alan B. Combs when he was doing it. Uh, the Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, Art Bell. Uh But I I deserve uh, credit for the two uh, nights of the other side of uh, midnight that I do on the weekends. And he's he's not wanting to give an inch on that. But I'll tell you this, uh, whether you're Frank Murano who's uh, out in Staten, Italy or you're anywhere in the tri-state area when that snow bomb came in yesterday, so many of you, instead of hiring the illegal aliens who are running up and down the block, more than happy to clean your driveway, your sidewalk, and work their butts off, uh, you decided, no, I'm going to go out and do it myself. I'm going to save some coin. And you did, men and women. And all of a sudden, you have strains and pains today, all kinds Uh, Back problems, neck problems, uh, old uh, breaks and fractures surfacing because of the cold weather, inclement weather, below freezing weather. It always happens this time of year, and now it's even more accentuated. And this is the time you cheat. No, 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 not on one another. No, I'm not talking about that. You cheat by going into your medicine cabinet, and you remember where you squirreled away a few of the pain-killing pills? I'm not talking domes. I'm talking addictive pills like Vicodin. Uh, like Percocet, like Oxys, and you figure, I'll just take one, all it does is mask over the pain, so naturally you take one, leads to two, two to four, and it's not what the prescription says, and now you have double trouble. You want to get rid of that pain that lingers and comes back to haunt you from time to time, you could do it and be virtually pain-free, but you got to head to New Jersey. Trinity Rehab is all over the Garden State. Find out why people are schlepping there, from Pennsylvania, from the Mid-Hudson Valley, from across the George Washington Bridge in Manhattan, because they have the EPAT machine. And the EPAT machine is FDA approved. It's non-surgical acoustic pressure wave technology that will break up your scar tissue, enhance healing, and gets rid of your pain el rapido. It's effective for conditions like back or neck pain, tennis elbow, shoulder tendinitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain. In just three five-minute sessions, you could be virtually pain-free and you're not popping pills. These are the locations. Share it with friends, relatives, people you work with who are always in pain. They're located in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wall, Woodbridge. And two brand-new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today at 800 977 That's Trinity Rehab, 800 977 or go to trinity com. And to the phones we go, Nancy, Ernest, first up in Westchester, your turn to be heard here on Curtis's Ark on WABC, Ernest. Hi, good morning. In this uh, topic of the monkeys, I think that
14: should be banned Testing the monkeys should be banned. They just leave them alone. You know, there's no reason that we should be testing monkeys for that. That's, uh, you know, testing animals should be banned. And, you know, especially at the CDC, like you said, good luck on getting that. Because I have no faith in any, any of the alphabet soup government agencies anymore. They're corrupt to the high heaven. They're, they, they're, You're not going to get an ounce of legitimate answers from any of them. Any of them. And as and as for using the monkeys or any animal for that reason for uh, for testing should be banned. R- right up there with data function research, it should be banned. We got no reason. There should be no reason. Those innocent animals. That I mean, that that they. That's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And the second note. Did you know that the octopus and the prey mantis have no. DNA link lineage to any other species. Wow. Uh,
1: Yes. Now, Ernest, uh, I remember when I was a child, a lot of our listeners probably remember. Nancy, you were out in Bohemia, which is uh, like the Great Wilds. We were always (laughs) told, if you kill a prey of mantis, that's a federal crime. You could go to jail. Do you remember that, Ernest? Yes, I do. Yeah, and, and was that an urban myth, or is that true? That's true. Wow. There's it, no DNA linkage to any of it. Any other insect
14: or or marine biological, you know, marine animal, and it's it's on its own. And we, that's one of the mysteries of nature that we we do not know.
1: Wow. And
13: both-
1: I got to let you go, Ernest. But got to find out from people if that is true. That if you know you- what,
13: what what Ernest just said is like again. This is like the mind-boggling part to me as well. Like, the reason why they test on a lot of these primates, oh, because they're so similar to us, which should be the reason you don't do it. But then when you talk about stuff like that, you have no linkage to the DNA. I mean, this is like when they cut down the rainforest. It's like, oh, all these species that we've never even, you know, realized what's going on. Like, there's something really genuine about that stuff. Like, there's a lot of alternatives. Like, when I think about the testing especially with the animal stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of people who might be totally on board with, oh, you have a sort of like a new way like to uh, resolve a medical issue. I'd like to receive that, you know, to see, like, you know, so you can be like a human test subject and you're accepting it. Like, oh, I have an ailment, you know, I agree to it. The animals can't agree to it, but then people can. But I think the reason why, obviously, they don't want, you know, people... Because people can say something against it. You shouldn't be raising animals and and doing this in secret. Well, you know,
1: it's amazing. When I was a kid uh, running through the fields of Canarsie, we call them the Lots, I, I was running with a bad crew of guys. These guys went on to become uh, murderers at the Gemini Lounge uh, for Roy DeMayo. Joey Testa, Patty Testa, Anthony Centaur. These, are, these were psychotic killers. Uh, all of a sudden, we come across a praying Mantis, and even these tough guys say, Oh, don't touch the praying Mantis. It's a federal crime. I got to find out. is that Was that always an urban myth? Or in fact, was that true? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Roberto in Queens. Welcome to Curtis's Ark here at WABC. Roberto with uh, Nancy, my wife, the animal rescuer. Hey, Nancy
3: Curtis, first thing, let me thank you guys for all the work you do for animals. I'm a fellow uh, a TNR certified person. I'm an animal rights activist. I thank you. Hi. I thought you would have been the best thing to happen in New York. And I want you to know that there's animal rights activists and there's animal rescuers that are on your side. And uh, let me let me shoot out something else, too. You were talking about um, having multiple cats. I have five rescue cats at the moment, uh, three from Queens, two from the Bronx. I had eleven at the most, and that's because people just dump, you know, dump them, and nobody takes responsibility. But when you were talking about the smell and stuff, it's all about the upkeep. And what they do is they pick on people who sometimes what you notice when they they criticize people, it's usually the elderly. And we don't live in a society where we knock on people's doors and say, "Hey, do you need some help? Can I go to the store for you? Can I go get you know?" Maybe an old man needs needs you to knock on the door, maybe help help walk the uh, the dog or something. They just they just be up on people who are in a moment of, of, of weakness for doing the right thing. And that that's disgusting. That's that's, you know, it, it's that's that's how those 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 attacks get perpetuated and stuff.
1: Yeah, well, the stereotype, you know, of the uh, crazy cat yeah. lady or the uh, older uh, older guys uh, on animal hoarder. You know, uh, Roberta, during the campaign, I made it one of my three major issues uh eliminating uh, the killing of animals in our shelters, dogs, cats, and other animals, which they do. They're under 72 hours. If nobody claims them, if they're not adopted, if a rescue group can't get to them in time, they destroy the animal. They kill them at taxpayers' expense. Most most people don't know that. When I was telling them during the campaign, you see, you're kidding. They kill them. I see, it's 72 hours. They're gone. It's over. And and, And I've heard. Yes, go ahead.
3: I've heard stories. Oh, I'm so sorry. I- I've heard stories about not, you know, I mean, first-time rescuers or whatever who don't know this, and they, they-, they go to the-, the-, the city shelters, and then they call to check up, and they're surprised, like you said. Like, you know, they, they-, they didn't know what to do with the animal. They hand him over to them, and then, you know, like you said, 72 hours later, they called to follow up to see, you know, how the animal's doing, and, and the animal's been destroyed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, now, now,
1: we need to spread the word, Roberto, because even during the campaign, people were making fun of me. And you know I'm a tough guy. Report, eh? Reporters were making fun of me. Some of our callers were making fun of me. Some of my co-hosts here and other contributors were making fun of me. Still do. But they don't understand. These animals, they're like our friends. They're like our family members. And they're desensitized to animals, completely desensitized and so they think if all of a sudden you're rescuing animals, you're a nut job. You're a kook. You're a schoolboy. You, you
13: know what? And you make a great point, too, because if the assumption is, oh, if you have more than X amount of animals, you're a hoarder. But you look at the condition of the animals. If the animals are well taken care of, they're in decent condition, I'm not sure how you can quantify that precisely. And then people reach out. So now you're discouraging people from reaching out. Because maybe they need – there are people who relinquish one animal to the shelter because they're like, oh, I can't afford to. Like, someone who's taking care of a multitude of animals, why would you possibly, you know, sort of, you know, pigeonhole them into this position? Oh, you're a hoarder. And, like, if, if the animals look healthy, they're fine, they're well cared for. Like, shouldn't the point be to keep them in the home?
1: But I think, uh, Roberto, it's incumbent upon you and other animal rescuers who are listening now, because it's an international network, that we continue to spread the word. We share this broadcast. It's the only one on uh major radio station anywhere in the nation. Uh, most other radio stations, they would say, no, no, we don't have time for that. That's goody-two-shoes stuff. Luckily, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis and Margo Katsimatidis, are animal lovers. In fact, when John was running for mayor in the Republican primary in 2013 against Joe Loder, remember, Nancy, he had in his platform no-kill shelters. He was the first to have that in the nation. And then I just lifted it from his platform and incorporated it into my mayoral campaign.
13: I mean, and talk about being ahead of the curve. It's like, this resonates with so many people today. Like, they love their pets. It's like their pets are their family, people who don't have children. It's like everyone who has pets, they love their pets. Like, I don't know why they've been marginalized so long, but it's like the more you bring attention to it, the more you say that stuff, it's like, you know, you start sort of having a conversation about the additional issues. It's like, oh, if you have health insurance, okay, why can't your pet be covered under it? Yeah, there's a reason why people relinquish them. Oh, I can't afford the medical bill. Like, there's a lot of things that you really can move forward if you start discussing it and recognizing that people who have pets view them the same way that I think you and I do. It's like, oh, they're like our kids. Like, we love them.
1: Well, anyway, uh, get in touch with uh, Nancy, uh, our animal rescuer. She leads the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, go to guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. You hit that tab, and she'll get back to you. And also, nobody was able to respond. Was this an urban myth that we grew up with as kids when we were out in the fields, the lots, and we'd see a prayer mantis, and everybody would say, back off, back off. If you kill or you hurt a prayer mantis or you pull a wing off of a prayer mantis, that's a federal crime. You could do federal time. I need to find that out. That was boy. Everybody said. I know you. You had heard that Nancy out in Bohemia. It seemed like everybody knew you. You had to leave the praying mantises alone.
13: Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't touch them.
1: So remember, share this broadcast. It's a podcast. Also, get other people involved. And when we come back, Frank Morano. When I ask him he was guilty the last time he had a plate of an octopus, as I know this guy, no doubt, eel, octopus, squid, squinjili. That's Frank Morano. talk radio
0: seventy seven WABC.
1: That was uh, that was done for me, uh, Frank Marino, and competition with that uh, that Garage Band song you played. Who, pl- who produced this? That's very yeah, good. This was David Crosby, the bad boy of wow. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young.
8: He sounds like he might have a future in this business.
1: Let me tell you something. He called me. He said, "Curtis, anything for you? Wow. Anything?" I said, "You know, I I didn't don- donate my liver to you because that's what kept him alive. <laughs> you know, he had a Mickey Mantle situation, but." He did this song for me because he appreciates that on the weekend uh, I take over the other side of midnight for two mornings while you're away. Yeah, I
8: must say you got rave reviews this weekend. Normally the, the weekday, the, you know, the A-listers, we call them, the weekday listeners to the other side of midnight, they do nothing but bash the presentation that you put on on the weekend. But uh, you got rave reviews for your presentation. Well, I, I did
1: a mixture of old school music from Woodstock. You know, I'm backing Neil Young and Joni Mitchell only because they're baby boomers. You know, I feel like I have to against right. Joe Rogan. Yes, I am
8: backing free speech. Yeah, Elon
1: Musk. You know, yes. go back to South Africa. pal. Are you demanding
8: that they take this show off of Spotify, the podcast version of this show? No,
1: and I'm not giving up my Spotify electronic <laughs> dance music list. But I will stand. And by the way, Joni Mitchell. Did you see she rocks a red beret?
8: I did see that. She yes. is a big supporter of the that. Guardian
1: Angels yeah, I uh, saw that. in Canada. Oh man, I'm telling you, Frank. So I was mixing the the music and matching the music, but I got to ask you. Uh,
8: and you hear the latest is Yoko Ono is threatening to produce more music unless they take <laughs> Joe Rogan <laughs> off of Spotify. That might be the one thing that uh, gets uh, that gets Joe Rogan off Spotify.
1: Uh, now, Frank, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, you have just scored an unbelievable uh, record here at WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation. Ever since we flipped from uh, stacks of wax, top 40, the days of Cousin Brucie, uh Herb Oscar Anderson, Harry Harrison. Uh, Dan Ingram. Dan Ingram. But the, uh, and the great Johnny Donovan, of course. Right, but the overnights, uh, we had great people. Uh, Alan B. Combs no longer with us. So we miss him dearly. Yeah, unbelievable theater of the mind. And nobody did it better than Art Bell, the Looney Kazuni from mm-hmm. Parks Unknown. Absolutely. Who was from nearby Patterson. That's where he first developed an ear for overnight radio theater of the mind by listening to Lawton John Nebel and Candy Jones. And then you, you scored a number in the recent ratings book. That was the all-time high here at WABC.
8: Well, I thank you for mentioning that. I'm not really sure what I'm allowed to say because I know we subscribe to the ratings and I'm not sure, you know, what it's okay to broadcast. But, well, you
1: know, excuse me, uh, Mark Simone at WOR, <laughs> uh, whenever he beats our ass, which he does it all the time, uh, he's like busting his buttons and bridges with pride.
8: But n- needless to say, we did four times the near our, you know, what WOR is doing. Uh, in the overnight, and uh, we we put in a very strong number. Uh, Usually what they call the holiday book is not great for talk radio because you have a lot of people listening to Christmas music, and it's usually the music stations like uh, Light FM and those stations that do very well, but... For the holiday book, uh, in the overnight show, we did our best ratings ever. In a year and a half of doing this show, we did the highest number we've ever done. All so right. very, very uh, proud of wait, 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 wait And very grateful.
1: Without taking all credit for this, as you generally yes. do, like everybody in talk radio does, let me take it. What has changed in that time? I do two of the other sides of midnight on the weekend.
8: Right, but these are the ratings for Monday through Friday. Wait, wait, wait. Well, hold on a second. They are.
1: Uh, I had a master analyst call up last night who <laughs> actually dissected the number. He gave you <laughs> tremendous credit for this, but he said, "Curtis, not for nothing, you do. Uh, it's five hours uh, Saturday morning, one to six, and then you come back Sunday morning, twelve midnight to six. That's eleven hours. Frank Morano does four hours each night, one to five. Uh, times uh, four, that's twenty hours." So he extrapolated that, and he said, you're 34% of the time of the other side of midnight. So I'm one-third of that that is super spectacular rating points that you
8: just scored. Right. Well, first of all, I'm on five days, but it's still 20 hours. Two... Again, the ratings are just Monday through Friday. Who said so? Well, that That's what the ratings are. Why, why uh, are again, you denying not,
1: me what rightfully even John called up on I, Saturday? I,
8: I heard that. Well, I'm not taking anything away from the very strong numbers that you're posting on the weekend. They may even be higher than, uh, than the wait, numbers wait that I'm doing during John the week. John Katsimatidis
1: himself felt that you should be giving me some of the credit I, not all of the credit some because obviously you're the bulk of the number
8: i am uh, happy just to have a job Curtis. if it involves giving I you do credit you, like that. you this guy's know what a i will, you know what i will give you credit for is uh, this has been sunday into monday and this is reflected in the streaming numbers as well a much better lead in than the show that was on before you what uh, was
1: that dr gil leaden it was yes <laughs> yes so
8: you are doing better then, now, uh, then the cancer doctor. Now,
1: let's speak of politics. Yes, let's. Both you and I went out there and campaigned for somebody that nobody knew at that time, mm. running for assembly, Nicole Maliotakis, right. against the Gumara of the Meyer Lansky, the Hyman Roth, the Democratic uh, state politics. Thank God he's dead, Sheldon Silver. Uh, he threw all of his support behind her. She was the sitting assemblywoman Democrat. He had the unions, the money behind her. Uh, you the were, governor. You were yes. the campaign manager for Nicole Malliotakis. I
8: don't know that was my official title, but in but, practice. Of course, Yeah. And practice.
1: I assisted wherever I could. Yes. She whipped her.
8: Yeah. I was. I actually was the person that persuaded Nicole to run for that scene. Right. And then
1: with. she took on Max Rose, a tough candidate, with a big bankroll. His mistake was, as a Democrat moderate, because he did the right things, condemned de Blasio... But he joined a Black Lives Matter protest uh, at the precinct. Uh, and sat, that was his death. But Nicole was out there. She fought a good race. She won. Now the Democrats have carved up her district. They've added Guanis Park Slope, Sunset Park. That's Democratic Socialists of America country.
8: Yeah, the district has now gone, if these lines hold, from a plus, uh, Trump plus 11 to Biden plus 9, if these numbers hold.
1: We got to we got to help it because you know that's going to remain there's no way that they're going to change
13: that.
8: And you know you hear you heard this here first Curtis. I would not be surprised if a person that eyed this seat in 2006, 2004 ends up running for this seat and that is Park Slope president Bill De Blasio. Would not be surprised. Oh no. Can you imagine? That stain. It would be the best thing to happen for Nicole, though, I'll tell you. I know, but
1: Max Rose versus Bill de Blasio in a primary. There are other candidates
8: running as well. I
1: know, the DSA candidates.
8: Okay. I'm speechless. uh, Look.
1: I I thought we had that guy out of our lives. He single-handedly destroyed the city that we love. But you're right. He lives right there on 7th Avenue and 11th Street. The Rastafari guy now is selling them nickels and dime bags right. again. And he wanted
8: he wanted to run for this seat back in the day. So uh, don't be shocked if that comes to fruition.
1: This may have been cut specifically for him. You don't think Max Rose is
8: going to back out of the primary, I did? wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. Because uh, he really uh, hates Bill de Blasio. Well, I think it's mutual. So that's why I don't think de Blasio would... Bow down from a matchup. Yeah, but we Max have Rose. to start
1: organizing for Nicole now. We can't wait until the contest gets underway. Yeah. Agreed. Her, her back is to the wall. Agreed.
8: How can they get away with this? Uh, th- this we, is can't, can't gerrymandering. They go, can't they go to court and challenge this? Well, that's what I'm hearing they are going to do. Yeah, but it'll be before a Democratic judge. They're all Democrats. Well, in Staten Island, there's a couple of state Supreme Court justices that are not Democrat. But we'll see.
1: Uh Uh-oh, I'm getting worried here. Bill de Blasio would resurface to become a plague on all of us on Staten Island, which voted for Curtis Lee. I can't allow that to happen. I may have to move to Staten Island and campaign for Nicole morning, noon, and night. We must stop de Blasio. Oh, my God, Frank, you ruined the rest of my morning here. I I want a projectile vomit. Came out, who had been having his... uh... Expressos, hey, back off. The guy's running for mayor. Come on, (laughs) guy. They'll close down everything here if you stick that shiv in them. Ah, so proud of Anthony. Don't ever let his mother know that. Oh my God, she'll have a heart attack. He stood there. He had his dukes up. He said, Man, you're not going to hurt my father. You're not going to do it again. Oh, it it, it doesn't get any. I know a lot of you find that weird, right? (laughs) But, hey, that's a father's pride in his son, right? Like father, like son. That's what my my father would have handled it, Chester. Rest in peace. Uh, I'm everything that he taught me to be, him and my mother, Francesca. And I wish it was like that for so many kids out there who really don't have fathers and mothers or good fathers and mothers. It would be such a better world. It starts at the home. It starts with the parents. And I was blessed.